Hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast episode 188, and we are back with Heather. She's back. It's been two weeks. You're here. I'm so excited that you're back. Also this week, really, really excellent interview with uh, with new GFLP Ryan Kemp, doing a lot of work with our friends at the Uptown Theater for Creative Arts. Uh, you can see him on Twitter at DudeGuyPants. Great conversation about his work in Los Angeles and his time in Utica and what he plans on doing when he's here. Also this week, the government is back open. I finally saw the Fire Festival documentary, so I have some hot takes on it. Uh, we'll talk about the Gillette ad. We'll talk about no more plastic bags, uh, history lessons, uh, Nazis in America. We'll talk about crocodile defenses, and of course, the Royal Rumble, which by the time you hear this, will already be over. Oh yes, folks, we are happy that you're here. Thrown at me. <laughs> I think Heather forgot where we live. I did not. I, did not. Yeah, you've been gone for two weeks, Heather. I feel terrible about you that. You should. That's okay. our show. <laughs> Are you throwing things at me? You know how much Parkinson you've subjected these people I'm to? I'm sorry, guys. I want to apologize in advance to all of you. Or right now. It's not, not in advance. Advance for later. A belated so apology. So I, I do have a question. I need to understand, so what happened with your heater? Okay, so we got to camp that uh, Friday night. Yeah, your camp was And there was no heat. Yeah. On. So what, the um, thermostat went on it. Sure. Okay. That's what they told us, yeah. and then it went again last night. <laughs> oh my god! Then we came home and our heat wasn't working. So like that whole polar thing destroyed it. The polar vortex. Yeah, yeah. we had a, heat, a wood stove, but we couldn't leave camp because the pipes would freeze. So we had to stay there until someone could come and fix what was going on. I would give you a harder time about this, except the fact that my mom up in uh, way up where she lives, her septic tank froze and exploded during this polar vortex. Oh, she had people show up at her house to, like, fix her septic tank. Everything was going Is it on. a polar vortex? Is there one? I was from uh, Not exactly where we are right now, but there is one over the country. Over, yeah. yeah over over the, out west they're having yeah. something. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Uh, and we, uh, we're apparently in line for more snow coming up. Yeah, I'm so just, excited. <laughs> I can tell because Heather's wearing a jacket in the studio. It's I'm, so already cool. exo- I'm so excited. <laughs> I have my underski clothing on already. Uh, <laughs> Did we talk about how that huge section of street downtown just opened up in a, like, sinkhole water main break <laughs> no, last week. Oh, I have seen I don't, that. Think, I don't think we did. I don't think no, we were the last part of the, I think that was in between. That's the last part of the polar vortex uh, conundrum is the explosion of the water pipe main. I, had a, I really wanted to drive down there and just see it. You, should, I, you still, you can go look at still it. There? Yeah. Still there? Still happening? It was huge. I mean, it's not still happening but they stopped the water but you can't drive through there. Really? Yeah, it's all yeah, I, was, out. I was just down there not 30 minutes ago. Yeah, it's still like... I'm driving down after this. It was huge though because <laughs> I was driving downtown that day and traffic was nuts because everybody was getting rerouted so like there were a lot of people coming around a handshake city and yeah. like up near uh the coffee place and taylor and all that I stuff know. now that road will be done <coughs> uh it really it does look it's crazy like they dug up like pretty much everything around all the sidewalk it really looks wild down there i'm gonna go look big intersection too um, by the time you folks hear this episode, it will be over, but tonight is one of the most exciting wrestling nights of the year, Kevin. It's the Royal Rumble it on is. Sunday night. It is. What's your wrestling excitement level, 1 through 10, on the Royal Rumble? Um, I like the Rumble. Probably the favorite favorite thing that I watch of the year, I would I'd say. say. 
for people who don't watch wrestling, like for the outsider folks, it's easily the most watchable thing for sure. all year long. For like sure. if, if Heather, you were just like, I don't know any of the characters in I this show, but you'd still be entertained by the way this is all set up. I agree. I've been entertained on Monday nights when I've stayed and watched, so. <laughs> uh, I was nice. Uh, some of our listeners were nice enough to respond to the posts I put up about who was going to win the say, I was Rumble. nice enough. <laughs> I was, uh, so, uh, according to our uh, our great listeners so far, and again, these posts will be up for another three hours, not that matters by the time you guys hear it. Uh, they believe that either Seth Rollins or Braun Strowman, they split the vote with 27% who will win mm-hmm. the Royal Rumble. The field is at 26%. We got uh, we got some smart listeners. We've always had smart <laughs> listeners. And then for the ladies, forty five percent think Charlotte Flair is going to win, which is pretty much mm. what everyone thinks. Oh, got bad news for them. That's Ric Flair's daughter. Oh okay. Yeah yeah, she's out there. I saw her on like, a news. She's the betting favorite, which is a thing you can do by the way, which always blows my mind that you can go and actually like put down money on a scripted event. It's like it's like I'm going to bet on what happens at the right, end. Right, because I feel like how could they stop you? If you're like a, if you're a writer or somebody who works for it, how could they stop you from going in and laying down like sick money on bad odds because you know better? Why not? Uh so and uh, and just from before we get to anything else, I want to say last week uh during uh what I called Disaster Cast 2019, uh Justin and I talked during his interview about the Fire Festival documentaries which everyone was obsessed with oh, over last week. Uh, and during the time of the interview, I had not yet seen any of the documentaries, but I did immediately go watch it afterwards because I've been very curious. Uh, Kev, you watched half of the Netflix one pretty much with me. Sure. Um, so I'm not going to break any new ground with anything we talk about here because everyone's been talking about it on every social media, any pop culture site everywhere for two weeks now. But I had a few things I wanted to mention. Okay. Uh, and Kev, you brought this up during the documentary. Even the people who like, got sort of suckered into this and, like, lost all their money, it was hard to feel bad because they were insufferable people. Like, pretty much every... Yeah, <laughs> Almost yeah. every... I was already not... I'm already not a big Instagram influencer. Yeah. Uh, social media influencer person. Yeah. And, you know, I've got I've got a friend, uh, somebody I'm friendly with, somebody I knew a lot better years ago, who's, you know, pretty successful with it. And she does a great job and it's a big thing. And she's a nice girl. But, like, you see a lot of these people, like, in this documentary, the people that they're showing who are, like you know, influencers who are, it's their whole thing to go on. I'm like, these people are literally insufferable. Yeah. And it's <laughs> sick that people aspire to be oh, it's what these people are. It's so sad. Oh, it's gross. <laughs> so, like, those bums should go to jail for the festival, but everybody mm-hmm. who went down there got what they deserved. Yeah. You didn't see it because it was in the very beginning of the documentary, but it, there's this guy in the beginning, and he's like, uh, he's Billy McFarland, who's like the main villain of this whole story. He's a uh, personal pilot, right? And he's this, like, Norwegian guy. Yeah, yeah. And they talk to him, and he's like, oh, yeah, I learned to fly on Microsoft Flight Simulator. It's no big deal. Oh, and that guy ended up being one of the more, like, rational people in the whole documentary. Like, wow, the Microsoft Flight Simulator yeah. guy. He's the one who's the smartest guy here. Uh, the other one is uh, there's that dude from Utica who's in it. I heard somebody say yeah. that. Angelo Raffaro. Angelo Raffaro. Who's, yeah. in, who's the press secretary for uh, Chuck Schumer. Yeah. Yeah. He's in it. in it. And I then he's like, nah, it. don't put me in this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what he's I for sure up to something and moving money. And it's weird. <laughs> You're now in it. <laughs> it's weird. I mean, Schumer's already tied up in all sorts of weird entertainment stuff. Obviously, with his niece, who's famous for no reason. Like, yeah. I mean, not no reason, but you know what I mean? Like, he did show up at pretty much any, like, event or thing going on in New York City or Brooklyn for, like, five years. Like, any event, oh, yeah. any, like, concert, yeah. he's there all the time. time. I mean, Chuck, the only person who likes to be in front of a camera, maybe as much as Rudy Giuliani, Chuck Schumer. He can get attention. He, he just it. He loves to be the senator. 
Yeah. He's sort of like, he's kind of a pushover wet blanket, but like, he just loves being the guy. Uh, I, I'll say this about Angelo, who, uh, when I saw him on the documentary, I was shocked. Shocked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll say this. Because well, we were both watching, like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, because I, you gotta remember, like, I know Angelo Rafao pretty well because we were in lots of musicals together growing up. We were in at least, like, five musicals together. You like, had no idea he was gonna be in this? I didn't oh, know he worked yeah. for Schumer, let oh, alone that he was gonna be in this. I he worked for Schumer. I, know he, I <laughs> so, knew that he got nepotized after uh, his uncle was the mayor. That's true. I knew he got yeah, nepotized yeah, yeah. up to Schumer's office. I had seen that. I mean, um, I like Angela. He's a good guy. <laughs> he is a nice guy, yeah. <laughs> and I'll say this. He's always been a very nice guy. It's certainly a weird section of that documentary. Uh, but I'll say this, too. Like, I've gone to networking events with people that I, like, meet and you don't really know much about these people when you meet them. I can see, especially in New York City, being like, oh, yeah, come up to this uh, this this apartment. I'll show you something I'm working on. And then there's cameras in there. I'm like, hey, no, listen. No, no, because yeah, they said that he knew him. He was, oh, that was his guy. Him? That was his mm. guy. Yeah, yeah. He's up. I mean, maybe he got scammed, too. This this yeah. uh, fire guy seems to be, um, you know, prodigious scammer. But I'm surprised there wasn't more guff around town about Utica's own appearing in such a famous document. Uh, so I did a little research I on didn't this. see too much... Uh, apparently he locally. So like I think IBX whoever it is covered this in yeah, January yeah, was, with him. Yeah. So I think it came out earlier this year that he was going to be. Right, at but I mean, least when everybody's yeah. watching and it's on, I haven't seen anybody really bring it up on like social media. No, thing, which I'm surprised really. about because I mean, Angelo literally can't shut up on social media. Angelo, come talk to us. Come in. Come, come let me know what's going come on. Come tell us the truth. Come tell us the truth. Come tell us the truth. Come um, on out. Yeah, and then we'll do this duo like we used to do back in the day. We'll sing something from Once Upon a Mattress, which is a real play we were both the leads in together. I True story. Hear that. Uh, and then uh, the other one, I want to say this. I, I've seen a lot of people really lining up about this Fire Festival doc to just like dunk on kids, like stupid millennials and stupid kids for blah, blah, blah. I kind of. Parkinson. I kind I kind of feel bad for any kid who had, like, expendable income and thought that they were getting into something cool with their friends. Like, I don't know why no, people are... there are people who, like, saved up a lot of money for yeah, this and everything and, they had. And look, if you're one of these people who's like, let's spend $60,000 of our extra money on a yeah. villa, right, and that, that we don't know exists, <laughs> I have no sympathy for you. But, like, let's say you're just, like, a young dude who's, like, in their 20s who, like, got excited who saw this video and, like, yo... Like, my friends want to go to this festival. Let's go. Like, I, I don't... I, I kind of feel bad for somebody who... I feel those bad. people... Do you know what I mean? If like, they were there, I feel bad for. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel bad that they couldn't put their time into something better. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> well, no, because go, well, no, because what's wrong with going to a festival? A lot of money. So you, so you don't think people should go to festivals? No, they should. Cancel? Coachella? <laughs> a lot of money. Lollapalooza? It, well, that's sure. what it is. What's the... They're all on Cancel. No more concerts. And if someone knows the no answer... No more concerts, rather. I don't remember. I don't know if it was like a general admission, like you could pay like however much money I to it was go. Like a ton of money. I, it, that is that what it is? It's like the yeah, baseline you have to take a ticket. Plane to this island. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's not some like dirt, like a yeah. Bonnaroo yeah. or something's kind of cheap comparatively. You know what I mean? Uh, all right, so let's move on from that. I'm glad we. Yeah, fire festival. I actually, I'll say this. I'm glad I watched it. I did think it was entertaining. I don't know if it was like the life changing thing that changed social media for a week and a half, like it, like everyone made it out to be. But I thought it was interesting. I was intrigued by it. Uh, all right, so, guys, the government is back open. Did you did you guys know yeah. that it was back open? Yep. I feel like a lot of people did not. Uh, it's only open for three weeks, though. That's what uh, that's what we've been told. It's going to be open for three more weeks, and we're going to make sure that all the employees receive their back pay. That was directly from the president. Uh, let me ask you this question, and I yeah. Do you think that in three weeks the government is just going to shut right back down? 
No. Is it, you think that three weeks is enough? Like we'll actually get it done in three weeks, no. and we won't get another shutdown. No. I just don't think we're gonna shut down again. Yep. It's just my opinion. Is that... That's all I got. I don't have a reason. <laughs> I'm just gonna go with I don't. I I feel like um, I don't know. I feel like anything we couldn't have done over the last like 36 days. I don't know what three more weeks is. Yeah, gonna I know. Do. Well, bullshit I know. because we could have done it. We could have. Yeah. Done it. We put bills through both the house and the Senate. Yeah. Countless, countless times, and you know it was it was never a problem. But nobody wants to, none of the Republicans in the Senate want to override Trump on the veto mm. because they're all complicit and they took Russian money too and mm. Mueller coming. Um, <laughs> so none of these people want to split with him because they've sort of pinked themselves in a corner and caught the tiger by the tail. So you've either got to ride it because if you let it go, it's going to eat you. Um, and, you know, when they controlled both houses of Congress for two years, I, there was none of this same energy about a wall, which mm. is how you know that it's just a racist monument for idiots. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, they'll probably shut it down again, maybe. The only thing that makes me think that maybe they won't is the number, the first thing you can say about the president is that he's a coward. True story. I think anybody would have to agree mm. that he's a coward. You know what I he mean? He took a lot of L's If you want to fight me on Twitter about it, I'm out there. <laughs> but um, the only thing that I think might stop that from happening is the fact that he is a coward and will fold up and get dunked on by mm. Nancy a lot of losses for Trump, it seems like, this week, between backing down on the wall and... Uh, taking a lot of L's over the past two years. <laughs> right. Yeah. Taking a lot of L's. Uh, can I say one thing? I, and I, I've been reading a little bit about the Roger Stone thing. I'm just going to say this. If you are a guy who has a tattoo of Richard Nixon and the Richard Nixon Foundation is scrambling to back away from you, that's probably not a good sign, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> a long time criminal. Yeah, like a long time, criminal. long time established criminal. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hey, did you see um, in other social media firestorms for people who can't read? Did you see that Cuomo <laughs> single-handedly passed a bill that made it mandatory that you have to abort every third child at 120 months? Oh, yeah. So Stop. Cuomo's, Cuomo's going to come to your house. Um, yeah, he's going to do it for you. He's going to come to your that. house and use guns with less mm. than five bullets per chamber. To execute uh, like two year olds. <laughs> that's what I heard on Facebook. And well, that's they why told you... me, yeah, they're going to come abort toddlers. You got a source on that? That's what I was told. Facebook, yeah. Facebook. Facebook. Oh, good. Yeah. Facebook. Good. Facebook. Good. The reading comprehension uh, set. <laughs> See, I did have a Cuomo story, but it was about the fact that he was banning single use plastic bags. So, good. Yeah. yeah. No more. Good. No people more are upset about that, too. <laughs> that's, people are always upset. You're upset about I did that see too. that people were upset they about were. that. Trying to take away everything. And I don't even, I'll tell you what, I don't even really like the guy. No. I truly no, I don't, don't really like the Nobody guy, you know that. what I mean? But, jeez. I do like the fact that he is so quick to fold to being progressive now that he sees, like, that's the way winds are blowing. It's kind well, of funny is, to me. Yeah, that is like, one of the interesting things about somebody who has no actual moral center of who just <laughs> go with whatever way the winds are blowing in, yeah. the, in the absolutely banana land hopes that someday they'll get to be the president, too. Um, oh, man. You know, yeah. so... Hey, speaking nice. of stories from banana land, let's yes. talk about the infamous Gillette... Uh, advertisement that broke the internet and all this talk about toxic masculinity. <laughs> Did you see the no, advertisement? Okay, I kept wanting to watch it, but I never watched it. You didn't watch it? I Did don't. I, of all people in the world, I know. I'm like, I need to watch this. Everyone's talking about it. I need to watch it. I didn't. So. You don't. You don't need to watch it. You really don't. <laughs> I don't know. I know. It was... It's too much work to go to it. I won't click it. I saw the ad in the morning that it came out when all of the... And I have to say, I thought, yeah, this was a nice little ad. It was a little bit... It, there were times, and I'll say this, even as a guy who thought the ad was fine and it was a little nice, there were a couple moments where it was like a little too on the nose about like, you should be a nicer person. Well, because they're a razor cup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> didn't I mean, like, it might as well just be in a scene of like a kid throwing rocks at a cat and someone walking over and be like, hey, 
maybe you shouldn't throw rocks at that cat. Like, it was really on the nose to a point where it's very easily, like, a parody. Like, it, you know, even SNL did a parody over the weekend, like, <laughs> Kool-Aid men, Kool-Aid boys grow up to be the Kool-Aid men of tomorrow. <laughs> um, but it, I've seen a lot of, uh, this is tied into a bigger conversation that people are having about toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of this goes into a report that the uh, American Psychological Association released new guidelines uh, recently uh, that highlighted a substantial body of research pointing to some of the harmful effects uh, that the constricted enculturation of traditional masculinity has on men and the people around them. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> and this makes a lot of people upset. A lot of men upset. They feel like uh, manhood is under attack. Yo, if, you're, being no, if, you're, if you're upset, <laughs> if you're the type of person who sees a commercial saying, hey guys, maybe we should be a little bit nicer to girls, and that has you furious, <laughs> yeah. you're the problem. Yeah. And I mean, and I really, and even, like, I'm not, you know... I take a pretty even-handed approach to a lot of these things, intergender issues and stuff like that. And Sam, I think you know that. We talk about it a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, when it comes to something like this, like if you see this commercial and you're hyperventilating on the internet and yeah. just drowning yourself in your <laughs> fragile white tears, you're the problem. It's a Razor commercial. Don't watch the video on YouTube. Watch some other garbage. Like, it's... It's very telling the outrage. People just want to get mad about anything. Oh yeah. I don't think that's just you it. Know? I don't. I, mean, I think that that's. I think that that's reductive. I don't. Think, I don't. Colors are coming out with all of this. I don't <laughs> think that you're wrong. No, that's an interesting point too. <laughs> I don't think that you're wrong. I think that's a little bit closer to what it is. Is the people who watch it. I think it hits a little bit too close to home for people. Yeah. I think it hits a little close to home and behavior that guys just write off is like, you know, boys being boys and you know stuff like that and the boys will be boys. A lot of that is bullshit, and yeah. a lot of that is just an excuse to cover for bad bad behavior, and it is the truth that a lot of men for a long time, specifically white men, have never had to answer for that kind of behavior. Yeah. And you can fluff it off as boys will be boys, and it gets swept under the rug because yeah. the people there to hold you accountable are also those same boys. I think a lot of these guys are terrified that they don't get to act like dickheads like their uncles, like fathers, and grandfathers did forever. Hmm. And you can really see it right at our age at this divide because we were one of the last generations to grow up with some of this behavior mm-hmm. is really accepted and okay. And I see a lot of guys I know push back on it and they have a really tough time with people being like, hey, man, maybe don't say that word. Hey, man, maybe don't talk to girls that way. Hey, man, maybe don't treat people this way. And you see pushback, but all the people who push back are the people who have this problem and who need it the most. Well, it's funny to bring that up because this weekend my son was watching ski videos and instead mm. of saying, that's daddy, he's like, that's mommy. Yeah. Or anything that's like athletic, he's always like, that's mommy. I'm like, mm-hmm. like he goes, it's just different now. So <laughs> having commercials like this and things happening is good for our future. Yeah, it's funny too because I don't know if I ever heard the boys we boys thing growing up all that much. And I maybe feel like I heard it. Because I grew up surrounded by women i had sisters and moms my parents were divorced uh, and lots of female cousins and lots of aunts and like i didn't i wasn't i didn't really get into like hanging out with other boys until like school i think like proper like uh, getting into like later elementary school and like middle school is the first time i which again i've talked even to, that stuff though yeah even that stuff you know what i mean like people doing like wild things doing different stuff oh the boys will be boys you know how it is yeah. you know what i mean like yeah. A lot of that stuff is just an excuse. Like, just be better. Nobody's asking you to like change who you are, act nuts. Just be a, be a little bit better. Yeah. Try always be trying to grow and becoming a better person. Uh, I had a couple other things. I guess we'll. Uh, I'll just do one more. Have you guys heard this horrifying story 
uh, that within 10 to 20 years, coffee is going to be extinct. I've been hearing that. I've been talking about that for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So apparently they're saying 10 to 20 years based on climate change and that 60% of all species of coffee will be wiped off the planet. Mm -hmm. Uh, Think I'd quit coffee. I th- I think uh, here's my here's my I think this is actually um, a plan that they've been cultivating to get people to finally start paying attention to climate change because they don't care like normal like people don't listen to like the normal just facts like hey it's the, the world's gonna die uh, but these are the kind of things people will pay attention to like yeah. no more coffee no more coffee if you don't recycle or some shit like this you know what I mean like that's how you do it start telling people the things that they really like are gonna be gone unless they do something about it and that'll get their attention so yeah and yeah, or uh, they just won't believe it. That's true. That's true. It's all it's all fake news. Um, and then the other one I saw. Oh, um, Facebook. God, I feel like is there another company in the world that just continually like digs their own like grave deeper and deeper, better than Facebook right now? Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but no. I, 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 I feel I like see Facebook does a nice job. Doing, yeah. Where are we going with this? Well, I know. I just the read. Photo no, this is something. Uh, they've been. Uh, court documents have come out uh, detailing how Facebook has been engaging in something called friendly fraud. Yeah. Uh, basically, it's about how Facebook employees uh, refer to purchases made by children without their parents' knowledge on their like credit cards, on their phones and stuff when they're playing games they and things like that. They know that they're doing it? Well, they know that they're doing it. And, it's, uh-huh. and they basically, because right, they... Never al- mind, they're Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, Facebook learned that children don't understand they're spending real money and their parents' credit cards are attached to these real time. So when they're spending real money, they don't know it. Uh, and Facebook was could be like aware that these purchases are happening and just sort of allows them to happen to maximize revenue. Uh, and apparently there was a small group of Facebook employees who came up with a way to reduce the problem, uh, but the company they were immediately fired. They're immediately like the company squashed it, right? So there you go. Uh, man, it's just it's crazy yeah. how evil all the big companies are, right? Yeah. Evil. This is why we need to tax all of the wealthy people seventy percent of a marginal tax rate, right? <laughs> if you want to get into what marginal tax rates are, certainly. But that's another thing people seem to be misunderstanding heavily on the Facebook. Oh, um, it's true. The old, I mean, the old chestnut about Facebook holds specifically true about Facebook. If it's if the service or the thing or whatever it is is free, mm-hmm. then you're the product. Yeah, and that's what it is with Facebook. It's just testing. And it's free testing because and you're stuff. the product. They're selling you. They're not mm-hmm. testing shit on you. They don't care about you. They're selling you. They're selling you your likes, your desires, what you want, what you need. You know what I mean? Like. Facebook knows what your son likes. Either. Facebook knows what you like. Facebook knows what everybody likes because they can sell that to advertisers. And, like, I remember I've got some friends that work in, like, big data in some larger cities like New York and London and yeah. Silicon Valley. And I remember even years ago talking to them when they were getting out of college and getting into, like, you know, these big data companies. Mm-hmm. And it's wild. Yeah. And it's wild. And so few people know about it, even in the abstract, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's so dense, too, that you can't just can't put like a little chestnut paragraph have somebody understand it you know what i mean if it's you go really... to google photos mm-hmm. and you type in and you get your download your photos to it and you type in beer bottle it will go through years of your photos and pop up every picture that has a beer bottle yeah. or anything and, and that kind of scary they could just do that yeah i can't even imagine like i can go in and put mm-hmm. in a cake or something whatever word in photos mm-hmm. will come up the digital apocalypse it's coming soon keep already an eye out for it it's already here all right, so let's get to this week's interview, which I have to say, um, after sort of a slow start to the year, we've had some friends come in, some repeat guests. This was actually our first new person who's interviewed with us in 2019, and man, I got to tell you, I had a great time talking to Ryan Kemp. Uh, you may have seen Ryan doing doing the rounds with the uh, Uptown Theater uh, for the Creative Arts with our good friends Devin and Brianna Mahoney. 
but Ryan uh, is, I was, I thought he was the first person to ever have an IMDb page on our show and get interviewed. And then Kevin, you told me that's not true, that Cliff Montoni does, does have an IMDb page. He's on there. Not quite as accomplished as this fellow that you met at the party. No. Uh, so I met Ryan at a New Year's Eve party uh, with Devin and Brianna. Uh, Ryan is an actor and writer from Rochester who just moved. Uh, he's sort of splitting time between Los Angeles and Utica right now, but he's on the way back. Relatable. Uh, he's <laughs> uh, he's been a writing assistant in, in in Los Angeles for almost ten years now, going back to his time on the show Scrubs. He was also on. He wrote for the show uh, Cougar Town, uh, where the Wild Things Are movie in two thousand nine, uh, Undateable in 2015, 2016, Two Broke Girls, and then the twenty eighteen Roseanne reboot. So. We dug into all sorts of stuff about that. We did talk about James Gandolfini. Of course we did. Uh, we talked about tons and tons of stuff. We went over an hour, so why not get into it? Great conversation. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at DudeGuyPants. Great Twitter handle. Ryan Kemp, back to the show in just a moment. Not really somebody who judges. That's <laughs> I appreciate but, that. But uh, if I were going to, I wouldn't do it on the cleanliness of your. Thank you. The cleanliness my face could use. No, no, it's all good, man. It's actually it's it uh, works out because there's like you know the layers and. Uh, Ryan Kemp. That's uh, me. I met you for the first time uh, at our mutual friend Devin, who may or may not be in the room. Creepily watching from a distance. Maybe I'm here, maybe I'm not. Maybe he's here. Maybe he's. <laughs> uh, I met you at a New Year's Eve party, which was a great time, by the way. Thanks for the party, Deb. Had a great time. Thanks, party. Brianna, as well. That was fun. Um, and uh, I don't even know if we want to. I don't know if I want to get this right off the bat. I felt sort of bad because you were sort of just doing your thing, and I feel like you were probably surrounded by a bunch of drunks all night. Do you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's that's what I normally do. Except <laughs> normally I'm also drunk, but uh, this was my first time, like. Doing it without being drunk, uh, it's almost the same. Did you? I see. Like that was one of the things because I'm not a huge uh, drinker. It's always been my big problem when I like go out to bars and stuff, right? If I go out and meet my buddies for a drink, like I'll have two drinks and I'm like, why am I still at the bar? Like, what what am I doing here? And I think I struggle sometimes to like if I can't like hang with everybody. Yeah. Like I need to like catch up with people. But I thought you did a good job, sort of just like doing your thing and rolling with the punches. I was very impressed. Yeah. Yeah. I um. I think, yeah, um, I don't know how to, I was going to say something, and I'm like, I, I don't want to say that too loud beyond the audio. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I grew up with a lot of uh, drunks, and yeah, so I'm really good at it, I think. Uh, I think, you know, it's funny, my, my old man was a, was a pretty healthy boozer growing up, and I think it did, there was definitely a period of time when I was drinking too much, and I think that's sort of the scary, I didn't mean to get so serious right off the bat, but, um, no, I think, it, it's funny, though, because... Drinking and alcohol are so closely ingrained with like society. Like mm-hmm. we don't we don't look at alcohol or drinking and going out and having a few beers as a big deal at all in the way we look at other things, right? So 
it is so ingrained in society that it's almost weird now if someone's like, oh, I don't drink at all. They're like, what do you mean you there, don't drink? Yeah. There's a stigma behind there's it. There's a I weird stigma to listen, it. Yeah. I don't trust people who don't drink, and now I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah. And that's just causing all sorts of questions in my head right now. Uh, Have you compensated with anything else? You like working out a lot more now? Are you finding something else to get into now that you're not doing the drinking? No. No. <laughs> no, I, got, I should probably find something. You uh, find I, something else along yeah, the way. I, I do think... Uh, Drinking, for me anyway, is a symptom of something else. It's not like, you know, alcoholism right. at, at face value. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people probably have this case where it's like, it's, for, you know, everybody has something. Yeah, you know, sure. like oh, yeah, some kind sure. of pain, like overeaters, you know, that's... Well, people don't pain eat because they're hungry. You eat because you're angry or upset or tired or whatever Or you smell sometimes. wings. Or you smell wings, or you, right? Yeah, or somebody puts food in front of you, you know? Exactly. Uh, but like the same kind of thing. I think, you know, people drink or do drugs because, you know, it's just whatever, do your running or do your writing or do whatever yeah. your arts and crafts or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I think that's comes a, from a place. I think that's a big part of it too, especially if you're a creative type. Like you, I think a lot of creative types sort of uh, mix those two things, that sort of substance use in the creative process and that must be sort of weird when one part of it is gone. It is. I'm still figuring it out. But, yeah. uh, and, and I don't even know if this is like a forever thing. It's been about right. uh, since... Very like the first week in September is the last time I had a beer or any marijuana or any really anything. Yeah. Um, not that I really do anything else, but sure. uh, yeah. So I don't know what it is now, but uh, we'll see. I don't know if it's going to be a permanent thing or not. But I think the funny part I used to talk about this when I was I was a bit wilder in my early twenties, and as I get into my my early thirties, mid thirties now, I just turned thirty three. Um, I think the thing as I get older is. I don't find the sort of lifestyle of like chasing it and partying as attractive as I did like 10 years ago. Like that, the whole concept, if I go out and I see like a bunch of 22 year olds like partying and drinking, I'm like, oh, kid. <laughs> I got, you know, it's, it's not the same sort of vibe for me when I go out anymore, right? Yeah. It's no. just me leaning into being an old man. I can't tell. No, I don't know either. It's like, I wish I could be that because I definitely had a really good time and I was really good at it when I was, you know, in my 20s and stuff. It's just yeah. not to. Like you said, it's not as fulfilling. It doesn't, yeah. doesn't do it for me. It's video games have gotten that way to me now as I get a little older, too. If I pour, like, seven or eight hours into a video game, I'm like, why did I just waste, like, seven or eight hours of my life? And then you're like, wait a second, was it really wasting it? Well, well, I liked it, but, like, did I accomplish anything? I guess I did. I killed the bad guy. So. Well, I mean, <laughs> do you always have to, I mean, the, I guess that's, that's the, the situation, the, the mindset that everybody's yeah. at right now. It's like, you always have accomplishments, you know, this and that. I mean, you have to do what fulfills you. And if that's accomplishment, that's one thing, but you, you can't set your sights on somebody who's like, oh, I accomplished this and this and this by the time I was 30. It's like, well, you know, everybody's different. I can tell this would be a good interview. Sean McVay. Because I'm already getting way off track, and that's always a good sign. Uh, I actually read an article about this today, about, like, this current, and I don't want to get into a whole millennials, baby boomers generational thing, but this current generation of, like, young people born from, like, 81 through the millennial period, we've had this feel like we need to be perfect we need to do the best we can all the time and it's sort of ruined our ability to enjoy ourselves it's a very miserable generation that's yeah. sort of cynical about all these things and i wonder if it comes from like feeling like you have to chase it all the time i don't know no i totally agree it's like well that's because you know for every you know whatever a hundred thousand thirty-year-olds who like are at home in their parents basement yeah there's maybe like <laughs> five who are like YouTube stars, you know? And so you latch onto those guys. It's like, oh, these guys have millions of dollars because they have a YouTube channel and I'm, I'm not doing anything. I mean, my nephew has it pretty bad. Like, uh. I'll go back to this one moment. We do this thing with, I work with, with kids and uh, one of the things we do is we have to do these things called personal learning plans. And what a personal learning plan is, is just an interview you do with a kid at the start of every year. And it's like, and they're all pretty easy questions. 
What's your favorite class so far? What's your least favorite class? Um, are you using all your agendas? Are you paying attention to stuff? Are you doing any extracurricular activities? And at the end, we usually ask them, like, what's the most interesting career? For you? I don't want you to tell me what you want to be because that's a hard question to ask kids and it scares them. Like, what career are you interested in right now? And I had, like, a couple kids one year who all said, like, I want to play in the NBA. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I want to be in the NBA. And I had this, like... Which year was this? Was this after, like, uh, Steph Curry just started Yeah, this was the last nuts? couple of years. Yeah, yeah. last couple of years. Dude, the NBA is, like, blowing up. Like, teenagers just love the NBA. It's, Steph Curry changed things, man. He really did. I, again, I, I think it's it's a game that refines our time. It's fast-paced. It's high-scoring. It, it's You don't have to have the same attention span for what you do for, like, football, which I watched this weekend, which was a slog. Like, having to watch, like, eight hours of a game. It's tough. Uh, but the point was, I had all these kids in there, and I had them in a room. I was like, yo, this is insane. I have five kids. We're going to be in the NBA. That's nuts. That never happens anywhere in the world. Ever. That's never once happened where five kids who all went to high school together went to the NBA. You guys are amazing. And I was really leaning into the sarcasm on it. I, I think they picked up on it. <laughs> but, like, it's... You want to, like, tell these kids, yeah, you can do everything you want. But, like, listen, if you want to be in the NBA, you're 17, you're not even on the basketball team. Like, you missed your chance. <laughs> I'm going to let you know right now. Let's be realistic about it. You could be in the NBA if you want to be a broadcaster. Right, within Go reason, to journalism right? school. To the, to the best right? of like, your ability. And, yeah. And, uh... Uh, yeah, but not everyone can be in the NBA. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. Like, I, I say this all the time. Like, I wanted to be a professional wrestler when I was a kid. I really wanted to be, like, the world champion. I'm five foot nine, 175 pounds soaking fat. Like, I really could not be the world champion. But if I wanted to be in wrestling, I could have went into, like, I don't know, journalism. I could have went into writing. I could have been, like, a scriptwriter. I could have been a cameraman. I could have worked in television production. There's a million things you can do to be around things that you like, even if it's not exactly the thing you want to do, even if it's not Michael Jordan. My friend Tyler Spears writes for WWE. Really? If you want, I can put you in contact with him. Really? Yeah. Oh, we made uh, cat videos for a long time at the Pet Collective together. I was going to ask you about the cat videos. Matter of fact, I think it's a good time. <laughs> let's let's dig into some stuff here, because I, I really want to give you a proper introduction. Sure. Um, uh, Ryan Kemp, people can follow you on Twitter at DudeGuyPants. Great, great Twitter name, by Thanks. the way. Thanks. Um, and it's also my League of Legends handle and a lot League of other Legends stuff. Guy? I think my YouTube page and my Tumblr are nice. also. Right, are you League of Legends guy? Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, you play Fallout at all? You a Fallout guy? No, no, I uh, I don't have um, an Xbox. Uh, okay. Hey, so PC just, gamer style. Yeah, I just have my right. MacBook. And we'll get it. that's a that's a conversation for when we're off the air. I think sure. scare a lot of the, <laughs> the non-video game playing public. Um, there's does that exist? There, not as much in today's society as I feel like it did 20 years ago, because now yeah. all my kids are addicted to one particular Fortnite video game, but video games are, like, part of the culture now. Right. But, uh, you mean, I don't know if, like, I don't know if everyone wants to hear me talk about video games. No, I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I think Twitch is actually giving YouTube a run for its money at this point. That's it's, a great uh, question. You know, I actually... Sorry. No, 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 that's a good can... point, because it's something I've talked about off the air with uh, Justin Parkinson from Made in Utica, is that's my next... Unicast project. I have that that video game emulator. I just want to do an interview show, sort of like what those guys in WWE do, the Up Up Down Down channel. I just want people to come on and be like, "What game did you play when you were a kid?" And be like, "Oh, I don't know, Sonic." And then just play Sonic with them for like half an hour and talk about like video games and busting chops because like, we don't have any video content. And I never want to record video content of the podcast because then I have to like get dressed up right. and like <laughs> and like, hey, I can't be a scrub in my Put house for out. it. Then what's this camera here for? Oh well, that's Devin put that up when he came in, didn't he? Uh, when you uh, when you do that, uh, invite me back. I'd love. I'll be, I'll, I'll be the first guy I call. I awesome. Oh, uh, you and TK, because TK, I told TK he could do it too. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, okay. You are one of the few. Wait, then, where is it? <laughs> oh God! Sorry, <laughs> Thanks, I can't Dad. help it. If I could help Thanks, it, I Dad. wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, Ryan Kemp, you are maybe the first person that I know of on my podcast history who has their own active and full interesting IMDb page. Uh, and we are going to dig into that a little bit because I have some questions for you. But I want to start with a little bit of background. Uh, what would you, if you had to call yourself something, if you had a byline for yourself, what would you give yourself for a title, Ryan Kemp? Actor, writer, comedian? Man of many hyphens? Man of many hyphens. Renaissance uh, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Marine, maybe? Marine, yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, writer, producer, comedian, actor, like, it is. I, I guess I don't have a, that's probably my problem, my big, biggest problem. Yeah. I, don't, I don't focus on one of them. I had to. Come, I just started calling myself host and producer for this show because I was like, I don't even. I'm the guy who does the thing. I have to come up with the titles. This is easy enough. It's just producer is probably the easiest. Producer one. is. I like to say host though because I'm on the show. No, no, no. I'm saying for me. Oh, for producer is a good one. Producer is kind of all encompassing. I'm self-producing. You know, I, I, I really good at cooking. Uh, Got a great little garden. Great. You gardener. I'm gonna uh, write that back for one of my later questions. Gardening. Interesting. I'd like to have a better garden, but if. Sometimes if it gets too hot for like two days in a row in LA and you you don't get a chance to like water your plants, they're dead immediately. He has succulents. No, Ooh, I don't. Succulents. I hate succulents. No, you're not a fan of succulents. No, I have I have a pretty healthy crop of catnip. Cat. Um, oh yeah. Okay. And uh, you know some <laughs> some green plants that I what, uh, philodendrons. The, the, I, yeah, I don't know the names for any of those kind of. I'm, I'm like a the only. My grandfather had a vegetable garden, so if it's not like snow peas or peppers, I'm kind of like ah, I don't know what it is. It's hard to keep that stuff alive in uh, Los Angeles. It's too dry, you know? It's a great point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. yeah. Too hot and too dry. Uh, like, I love, I have many crops of parsley and cilantro and basil and all this other stuff, but it all just... How long have up. you been here since you moved back from L.A.? How long has it been since you moved from L.A.? Here. Well, I'm still kind of bi-coastal. So bi- you're still bi-coastal. So yeah, I'm. Okay. A, I, speaking of, I have to buy tickets tonight to go back to L.A. for like the 26th or 27th. Mm. Um, so... Very nice. Uh, but yeah, I... Has it been like a couple weeks here now, total? Maybe a total of like 10 days in Utica? All right, so 10 days is a pretty good opening salvo, but you are not unfamiliar with New York. You were originally from Rochester, New Originally York? from Rochester, New York. Went to school in Oswego for undergrad and then Syracuse for overgrad. Okay, so a couple questions. So uh, you're from you're from the Rochester area. Are you the only child? Do you got family? I have an older brother. Older brother? Very uh, nice. Who How much older than you, if you don't mind me asking? 22 months. Oh, so you're relatively close then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. nice. My, my sister's like 10 years older than me, so I feel like they're like in a whole different world. But no. was it nice having someone that close? I never experienced the having like a brother that close in age. Was it all right? I don't know. Like it was a, uh, it was tortuous. Torturous. <laughs> right. <laughs> but at the, other, at the same time, it's like we were always like together. Uh, yeah. So I'm finding I actually have a, a hard time doing things on my own. Interesting. I'm way better with somebody being like, do this, do this, do this, follow me here, you know, that Fair. kind of crap. And but uh, also, he was really mean. Like, but, yeah. you know, whatever. I mean, yeah. part of it, I think. Is, yeah. Is part of Are you still uh, close at all? Do you guys still talk? Yeah. Well, he's in Seattle now. He's got uh, oh, nice. four kids, one of which lives with me. Um, it's 19 year old, mm. um, my nephew, Evan. Um, so, yeah, he works for Homeland Security, and you couldn't be. Oh. More polar opposites than my brother and I. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like when you go to like Frontier Town or like Old Forge and you get those pictures when you're a kid. It's yeah, like, yeah. You know, the old timey photos. Yeah, my yeah. brother had the shotgun and like all these guns and bullets on him, and I had this bottle of whiskey, and that was the picture. <laughs> Cut to 30 years later when I'm holding, you know, like a pound of weed and living in California, surfing, being a huge hippie, and he's working for Homeland Security, yeah. voting for Trump and stuff like that. And it's like, <laughs> the hell? It's it's weird. 
Uh, and that's it's weird because I have some family on my side uh, who is of the the opposite voting block, and I've you know I've it was a weird holiday, not as much as people wanted to make it out to be, but I think it's it's you do want to find that ground anyway because you don't want to like get in arguments with your family over stuff that seems like temporary and trivial. Hopefully, uh, but it did affect a lot of people, I think, and families in a way that other like elections and politics haven't. Listen, I think it really tore apart people. I don't know. In my case, I did a an interview with HuffPo about uh, Roseanne, actually. And yeah, yeah. And I expressed my well, my express my view is that people. It's unfortunate, but it's not like we can just write all these people off. Like, oh, you voted for Trump. You're a horrible person. You're racist. Yeah. It's like you have to listen, and they have to listen too, because otherwise we're not just we can't just write each other off. We have to figure out where the common ground is and try to get each other there. Like, we can't just say, hey, you're a racist, you voted for Trump, and then, because then they'll just be like, well, whatever, you're a hippie, you, you don't care yeah. about it. It's like... You don't you care about to, America, you're yeah, a it's socialist like, or whatever. It's, yeah. And it I, sucks because there was a, a lot of ground in between those two, and that's where you have to yeah. go. No, and that's a great point. I think that, and we're going to talk about the Roseanne thing in a little bit, but I think that was sort of the, the biggest hurdle in general, was... Finding a way to make that show not divisive. I was I rode I rode for Roseanne a lot on the in the past, even the old version. People were like, I don't like that show, the original one. I'm like, nah, that show touched on stuff uh, in the '90s in a way that a lot of shows in that era didn't. Whether you liked it or not, it was pretty honest. Uh, I think a lot of shows co-opt. It's like the it's like the Halloween thing. A lot of shows co-opted what Roseanne did. Right? They saw like a show that was like, yeah, this is representing an American family in a different way. They did it. So to make that show again. It feels like, how do we make this again a show that is revolutionary in a way and doesn't just do the things we used to do that everyone else is copying now? Well, yeah, I mean, whatever, I'll throw this out there. It's like a lot of the people who work in television are come from very affluent families. And exactly, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why you'll never like watch a sitcom and be like, oh, they mentioned, here's a, here's a story about student loans, or there's no right. that, like through line or, or runner. Uh, let me see, uh... Superstore just actually started yeah, doing yeah, a line yeah. about it, so that's good. I, I like that, but you know, yeah, and, no, I, I the original mean. Roseanne was it was the the other side of it. You know, yeah. it's not it's not a bunch of rich people. You know, it's like you had silver spoons and exactly. a lot <laughs> yeah. of other shows were re- really like that. Like uh, you know, uh, the Cosby Show and uh, no wait, um, Different Strokes. Different Strokes. But even the Cosby Man. Show too is like everybody was rich. All the people were rich. And that's true. So you had Married with Children, which kind of cartoonized oh, uh, Roseanne. But Roseanne was a really true, honest depiction, I think, of like Middle America, the yeah. people who are really watching TV, not the ones who are making it. Uh, that's a great. I want to get more. Sorry, to no, 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 that's good. I do want to get into that a little bit later because I want to break some stuff down. But I want to get out of uh, Rochester and into Los Angeles. That's okay. my my plan here. So you're in Rochester. You and your brother. How long were you in Rochester until what age, would you say? Um, once my brother turned 18, he joined the Marines, and I never came back. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I, I joined the Marines when I was 17. Now, um, I'm curious to ask you, just because I grew up with a family where both my grandparents were, uh, were in the war, right? My, both paratroopers. And as I got to a certain age, I was... Wait, like, your, your grandpa and your grandma? Grandpa and my... Uh, both my grandpa. Okay, sorry. sorry. I was sorry. Okay, sorry. no, 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 that makes sense. Uh, they're both paratroopers. Um, and... I always felt, even though I'm, I don't like support going to war necessarily, and I'm not like totally into guns. I felt like for a certain point in time, I was like, "Am I not being a good American by like joining the military?" Right? And I'm, I'm curious. Was there like a moment in your life when the military seemed like something you wanted to do? Did you always have a thought in your mind that you wanted to do that, or did it kind of? What sprung that in your mind? Like, why, why did that become an option for you? 
uh, severe panic over being a loser. Really? Is that <laughs> for the rest? Of really? Yeah. I was. Uh, yeah, I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. I didn't grow mm. up with a lot of uh, discipline or authority around. It was yeah. kind of just on my own. So I was like, Yeah, mm. this is this is cool. Might as well try it. And also, like, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. At one point, it was for college, and then but once right, you get there, yeah. and realize what it's all about, and they brainwash you, which is you know, a, is actually a good thing, not not like in a negative sense. <laughs> right. uh, well, you don't want to be there in combat being like, right, yeah. hey, well, we got to take this machine gun out and be like, everybody's like, uh... No, I don't know, yeah. yeah. No, I Wish mean, then, then everybody's yeah. going to everybody's gonna die and it's going to be real bad. But to, there was, it was mostly for, I think, self-improvement. Yeah. Uh, but you do, you get there and you realize it's like, hey, this is, you learn a lot. This mm. is leadership, this is camaraderie, this is troop welfare, a lot of stuff people don't learn it's like you learn to have each other's backs yeah and that doesn't exist everywhere and it's unfortunate you know it's like everybody's like calls attention to themselves like it's all about me it's all about but it's not it's about everybody it's not remotely the same thing but i always tell my kids that like even though i was a horrendous athlete i learned a lot from like failing at sports as a kid just the idea that like you are on a team with other people and that other people and it's not it's not the same thing i'm not trying to trivialize it but no even kids who don't even play like sports or do something in a group they don't understand like what it is to have somebody's back and to work on something together and to sort of be accountable for other people besides yourself that's a super important like life skill to have. it's so so important yeah I, like I, I really think it needs to be like capitalized on yeah. because there I, I have worked with a lot of people who are just like you know that's not my job or like you know mm. what's in it for me it's I'm like we're all in this mm. together it's like it's not me versus you it's not you this isn't just you we are all we have a project we're on a job yeah. that that project is our show and we're all on the same team mm-hmm. like we have to make this show happen we uh, did you go to so you went to Oswego and Syracuse was this after the military so yeah I did. Uh, so I did. I was in the reserves, um, mm-hmm. which is still, you know, question if that was the right choice. But right. Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, I was a twenty one eleven. It means I fixed guns for a tank unit. So I did about mm-hmm. a year of my training, my boot camp, combat training, uh, and you know, MOS training. Uh, my drill unit was in Syracuse, New York. Uh, I did Oswego, uh, where I was in a fraternity and played rugby nice. and uh, had a. Got a, started off as graphic design, but then it was too time-consuming, so I took switched over to communications. So that was my second high school diploma. Um, but then after that, I don't know, I kind of floated around after Oswego. Um, I, I know I was waiting a lot of tables. Oh, yeah, I've been that game, brother. Yeah, and then I uh, started doing stand-up, and at one point I was cleaning carpet, doing stand-up, and waiting tables, and then I was like, I, I decided to go to... Syracuse for grad school so I could be like oh let's go rate television that sounds like fun now I'm curious that was a question I was going to ask you because uh, I always go back to like uh, again this podcast is me in my living room Uh, but being in a band and being on stage and doing all the weird creative stuff I always go back to like as a kid weirdly like listening to uh, like Charlie Steiner and uh, or is it uh, the two guys who used to call the Yankees John Sterling and and uh, Charlie Steiner when I was a kid Uh, I think I screwed their names up um but I was like, yeah, I want to do this. I want to like be in a thing that's in front of people. And then I was ended up doing like TV commercials. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm good with being in front of people. Like, with all the stuff going on, being in Rochester, being interested in like the uh, looking for like life stuff. Where did comedy and like being in front of people first sort of make its way into your life? I'm learning that right now. Actually, I'm coming to yeah. terms with the idea that huh. I think I just I really had to make fun of everything and laugh sure. everything off. Oh and, yeah. Um, <laughs> my parents were divorced, so I, my, a lot of my life is just making cynical jokes about being. Like, woe is me. It helps to be funny. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, 
if you think about it, that's it's an invention that humans came oh, yeah. up with in order to deal with stuff. Like, yeah, for sure. You know, it was n- not part of evolution. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's like, oh wow, all this shit's happening, and I can either deal with it at face value, or I can make jokes about everything and make light of everything, and and you know, have it that way. And that's just a way some people did it. So. And when you went to Syracuse, you ended up at the Newhouse School. Mm-hmm. What was your experience like there? I've heard wonderful things about the Newhouse. Also, it's very expensive. I've heard. <laughs> Yeah, definitely cost, <laughs> my great. one year there definitely cost four times as much as my entire four years oh, in yeah. Oswego. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I've stopped paying for it. Smart. Yeah, so, yeah, I have good <laughs> credit, but I keep on getting forbearances and all this other stuff, and I'm like, whatever. I I really did do my best to, to pay as much as I could as possible when yeah. I was, you know, constantly employed and stuff, but... You know, you're making twelve bucks an hour, and you're paying five hundred bucks a month in student loans. It doesn't really leave you enough to pay rent, and oh, dude, I, I mean, especially if you want to eat too. Like, I'm technically a grad school student who, like, part of my grad school is paid for through my salary. So I, I live in the world where I am always broke, but I can go to school. That's where, <laughs> that's oh, where wow. my head that's is. That's not a bad right. idea. I should try to look into something like that. Well, we can talk about that afterwards. All I right. Think, yeah. Um, well, what was the question? Well, I guess, what oh, was, yeah. your, what was your new house experience like? What did you awesome. feel like, what did you, what's something you took away from there that you feel like you, was the most helpful from new house? Like, what did, uh, I've also said the production is very cool. Like their production, the production yeah. is very cool. Yeah. The teachers are, are so smart. Yeah. Like, we had this one, Scooney, uh, Mr. Scooney, uh, Mr. Schoonmaker. He, uh, Mr. Scooney, I like that name. Yeah, <laughs> but he good. was like he was like one of those teachers who was like he wouldn't give you the answer. He'd give you the question, and yeah, yeah. and he'd give you like something to make you ask the question. Yeah, the Socratic it, method: answer a question with a question. <laughs> yeah. And it and it pissed us off so much yeah. at the time. <laughs> but then it's like, and then like after we like what, just want to like shake him and throw him oh. down the stairs and be like just give us a freaking answer, but. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, you know, later on, a few hours later, a couple days later, a couple weeks later, you're like, oh, crap, I see. I see where his genius was. Um, that tickles me as an educator. It makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, fortunately, we never threw him downstairs. But um, it's not just him. Uh, Professor Moeller, Professor Dubin, mm. uh, the resources. Yeah, yeah. It's not just, like, one thing at Newhouse. It was it was uh, just the whole network mm. of everything. We're a very pro Syracuse University podcast here. I, I, I do have an Otto the Orangeman tattoo. It's not something we discuss too often. I didn't go to Syracuse, mind you. I just really like the Syracuse Orangeman. Yeah, well, that's all you guys got. <laughs> we don't have any other teams up here for college right, sports. Yeah. So. Um, now, you went to L.A. from Syracuse? Was yeah. there any place in between? And the reason I bring that up, uh, or the reason I ask is, was L.A. always plan number one for you? Uh, or did you ever think about New York, Chicago, any other places? Or was L.A. always your first thought when you got, like, I want to work in TV? Um, L.A. was my thought, like, way before I thought I wanted to work in entertainment. Really? I just wanted to learn how to surf. Oh, so, okay, that makes a lot of sense. I grew I, up on I, glam metal, yeah. you know, Poison, Motley Crue, <laughs> stuff like that, Guns N' Roses. And I'm like, those guys all went out to L.A. <laughs> yeah, and, like, surfing looks cool. I like beaches. Yeah, let's do that. That sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, well, because the reason I bring it up is I had a friend in New York, and uh, I always bring this up when I talk to people who talk about like entertainment and stuff. And he had this—he was a stand-up comedian, and he was like, his theory was you go to New York, Chicago, or L.A., and you went to L.A. if you wanted to uh, work on television, 
You went to Chicago if you wanted to go work for Saturday Night Live in the future. And you went to New York if you wanted to have someone buy your stand-up and have you make it into a television show. And I don't know if that's true or false, but I thought it was a really simple breakdown of like where people would go. Uh, I don't know still. You <laughs> don't know? <laughs> uh, when, when I was watching the Poison documentary, uh, oh. they said there were uh, affluent kids from uh, Pennsylvania, and they said... Should we go to New York or L.A.? And they're like, well, the women are hotter and the warm, and so is the weather in L.A., so let's go out there. So I was like, hey, that sounds nice. And also the movie Swingers, I think, had a lot to do with it. Sweet, yeah. See, living up here, when I was playing in a band, we thought we wanted to go to New York City, but what we realized was it's expensive to be a band who lives in New York City, plus there's also 150 bands who play at night. So we got into, like, let's just drive around the van to, like, middle of bumfuck nowhere, and then we'll just do that. And that actually worked out pretty good for a while. But I can't imagine, like... The level of competition for something like playing in a band in New York was so, like, outrageous. And that's, like, groups of people. I can't imagine what the competition is when you're, like, in L.A. walking down the street trying to get in on, like, a writing team or a, a comedy team. Like, it must just be so many people who want the same thing as you. It's got to be frustrating. Well, when you put it that way. I wanted to be an actor for many years. I went to, like, musical theater. I was into musical theater, and then I was like, I don't know if I want to get rejected constantly. <laughs> There's no one in LA that's not a writer or a director or a producer. I mean, sure. It's pumping your gas. Or an actor. Right. Yeah. Somebody's, everyone's hustling trying to do it. So it literally is everyone you're competing in. Yeah, and I'm not a very competitive person. Neither am I, man. Like, I don't have a competitive bone in my body, so it doesn't really suit me. And like, which I'm okay with, but I mean, it's not like something I have to, it's no longer something you have to be in LA to do. Like, no, I, that's the key, right? I am great at it now. I mean, I've, I've put in a lot of work and effort toward it, but also sitting in a writer's room for the last 13 years mm. with the best and the worst in the business, you really learn a lot. And you'd be surprised by how many of the people who get paid like, you know, $30,000 a week who, who still don't actually have the same like knowledge base I do. Like, because you know, I, I guess like maybe, I don't know, I guess I always felt like I had to work harder or learn more in order to be better at that level. But now I'm like, I, I, I have it. Like, now, like, I know what I'm like doing. It's like kung fu movies. It's like you become the master by slapping water. And yeah. Before you know it, it's just like, oh, yeah. I'm the master now. Who is the yeah, master? It's, yeah. It's I know master. you're you're struggling because I know you like to be involved in these conversations <laughs> and you're trying not to like step on Ryan's shoes. But I'm I'm curious since I have you here. When did you guys first sort of come into uh, come into each other's circle, and when did you know that you liked working with each other? Oh, this was one of my favorite stories. Uh, do you want to go? Or? No, why don't you tell it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, shoot, uh, yeah, well, yeah. Do you think? Well, when I was like told Scooney, I was like, I'm going out to LA, and you know, some people knew about that. So Dubin and Scooney would be like, here, here's this contact, and I went out to LA and visited before I actually moved out, and I hung out with Devin, and we uh, turned out we both like grilling meat and drinking whiskey. Yeah, true story. Best friends. That's yeah. Good. We met on the set of Scrubs <laughs> when I was a PA. Yeah. Like, I asked my boss if, like, some mm. students could come and I could give them a tour. And mm. She gave me a dirty look and said yes. <laughs> and then uh, uh, I haven't been able to, sh to shake him ever since. It's funny. When you when you call your professors Dubin and Scooney, it sounds like you're, like, trying to get on the Supreme Court. You're like, I'm just hanging out with Dubin and Scooney, man. I love beer. <laughs> Sorry. It um, really does. <laughs> it's great, though. But that's, uh, I feel like I haven't seen, I, I talk to Dubin, you know, like, every yeah. couple months or something like that. Just online, but like I haven't talked to Scooney in a dozen years, but I feel like I could go back and talk to him right now and be like, dude, 
catch up right where we left off. I find it weird because a lot of my most important like high school teachers that like got me into education work at the school that I now work at. So it's weird to like see them in the teacher's room and be like, hi, Mr. So-and-so. Like, you can yeah. call me Jim now. That's my, you know, they, like, you're, my, you're not my student anymore. I'm like, I, nope, can't do it. Still got to yeah. call you Mr. S. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, can't, can't do it. Uh, and I got to ask you this question: What was Devin's pitch when he pitched you to come out here? How did he? How did he pitch you to Utica? Yeah, or to come to, to Utica. He didn't have to try that hard. Like mm. I was already getting there myself. Like mm. uh, it, it's funny, Ryan. Ryan came up. He was the year behind me the, the, uh, in the master's program mm-hmm. we did at Syracuse. Uh, so he moved out a year after me, and he basically <laughs> uh, cashed in on LA, like exactly on cue. Uh, one year after me like I, mm. I figure like we're on the same schedule yeah it's weird so you know someday well I, I mean i'm not married and don't have any kids or like a house or anything like that <laughs> but other than that yeah in terms of la um yeah it was you know it's a lot of stuff man it's like this year last two years we had three of the worst firefighters in yeah in history yeah, and no don't think about those kind There's of things no earthquakes water. And shit. i mean when i first moved out there I was miserable. It didn't rain or have a change in, in yeah. weather for six months. And I know that sounds like, oh, beautiful. It's like, no, it's 90 degrees. It's not. You need, like, there was no clouds, no breeze, no shade, nothing. Yeah. Everything was exactly the same for, like, mm. six months. And yeah, it threw me it. off. Like, my brain chemicals didn't handle it well. Uh, well especially I eventually... when you grow up in a place with weather patterns that have developed over millions of years and these, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. rhythms that are built into our, our yeah. bodies. Then you go to a place where it's just... A desert. Yeah. It's a desert. You got you to gotta accommodate to, to a certain lifestyle, I think. Like, when I went to New York, I for the first few years, I really liked the the speed and the hustle and bustle. I was like, boom, moving right along. Everyone's got their headphones in, subway, moving along. No one needs to talk to me. No one get my thing done. In and out. Bam, bam, bam. By year five, I was like... It's 8 million people and no one has any word to say to anybody else. Everyone just wants you to get the fuck out of their way. Yeah. And it wore on me after a while. Like, that lifestyle tended to wear on me. The one I always think about with the West Coast is I feel like I would go nuts having to drive in the in the traffic. I feel like that would be, that would wear on me after a few years just being like... It sucks a lot of life out of you, especially yeah. when it's like, like 100 degrees uh, and it's like, you know, there's, you're backed up for like hours, literally, mm. you know, to... You can't just, like, go somewhere and be like, oh, I'm just going to run out to the store real quick. I'll be back in 10 minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's... I'm going to run out to the store real quick. I'll be back in an hour. <laughs> is about as fast as you can do that. Like, a Costco is, like, three miles from me. That is a full forty half hour, 45 minutes to get there. Um, yeah, that kind of stuff. Now, um, we've gone a lot into a lot of different things. Uh, I, so I want to dig into some of this, uh, your uh, I, uh, IMDB page, which I, for, for years, I can't. Say it right. I don't know why I screw that up all the time. I can't say IMDb without screwing. They do it up. that on purpose. They, is that what it is? They really I don't want know, you to probably. <laughs> uh, so this stuff is kind of vague. So we're gonna bounce around a few different things. Go for um, it. Uh, so you studied improv and writing at Iowa West, UCB, Dosage Improv, UCLA, uh, and the West Side Comedy Theater. Now this is a conversation Devin and I have had in private. Um, do you feel like improv is probably one of those things that more people should do just because of how it prepares you to interact with other people? Like, is there more to it than just, like, I want to be funny on stage? What did you get out of the improv? Everything. Yeah. Everything. Hmm. Like, I always, I mentor a lot of students that come out from Syracuse, and I yeah. always tell anybody who I give advice to in, in the business, take improv. Because improv is an intensive scene study. Hmm. Now, whether you're a writer, director, 
actor, producer, anything. Even if you're doing like, you know, set design. A scene is a scene, no matter what. You know, like whether it's in a book, uh, you know, it's a, got a beginning, middle, end, and something happens. Mm-hmm. And that's what you really get out of improv. And it's like you find the most efficient way to do it to get the most information across in as, as, as efficiently as possible. Yeah. And I carry that through, like, my scripts. You know, uh, even the South Park guys say, you know, just in improv, like, don't ask questions. You get in late and leave early. Hmm. You know, you learn so many lessons from doing improv that you can apply to just everything. I mean, it's the same thing Ryan was talking about with the Marines, almost, that, that learning to be a part of a whole. Yeah. And that we're all in this together and that each, each person does their own little part. No one person has to carry the team. Yeah. Yeah, and there's no waste. There's just it's it's lean and it's efficient. Uh your next line I'm going to keep going on. Uh spent thousands of hours Oh, before I get in that. Is that sort of what you is that something you feel like you're going to be doing uh for Uptown when you get settled in you you do improv classes and stuff, you be leading those kind of things? Oh or? yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm that, teaching a stand-up class right now. Right now. Very, to plug nice. that? Um, Very cool. So Yeah, you can plug it right now if you want. It's a good spot if you if you want to plug your website. <laughs> uh, uh uptownimprov.com. We'll take you to the class page. Beautiful. Uh, Ryan can tell you about his improv. I mean, we're doing improv classes, but Ryan's in now to tell you about, uh, he can tell you about this. In, oh, my God, words. Words. Uh, it's tough, isn't it? Uh, I've taken stand-up that he's doing. Intro to stand-up. I've taken, you know, I took stand-up when I was in Rochester when I was doing stuff at the Comics Cafe back before I ever went to Los Angeles. But I was doing half hours on the road before I went to grad school at Syracuse. But, you know, and I've taken lots of classes out in L.A., I've taken writing classes. I've sat in rooms with, like I said, the best and worst joke writers in the business. Um, and I've taken stand-up classes out there. I performed stand-up with a lot of really famous people. I was in writers' rooms with Norm Macdonald and Whitney hmm. Cummings and who else? Jason Sudeikis. Jason, today yeah, I was, with him. I was texting back and forth with Jason Sudeikis <laughs> today, which is really neat to say that out loud. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I have the experience and qualifications, and I I can really I, don't, I have the ability to help. Hmm. And it does, you don't have to be somebody who like gets up and takes all your stuff out to L.A. anymore in order to be super talented. There's so many people in this class right now that I'm teaching. I'm like, these guys are really, really good. Like, it just takes a little bit of like, you know, sharpening. And these people are just as as good as anybody you can find out there. And, and you know, like it doesn't have to be an L.A. thing. It's really inspiring to see how much local talent there is. Yeah, you know, it's this is a this is such a weird and wonderful city. I talk about it all the time, why this podcast even exists. The city is big enough, 60, 60 plus thousand mm-hmm. people, where people are doing something interesting. People are chasing stuff still. People want to do things to themselves. Uh, but also, it's not so big where you can't just reach out and talk to somebody if you want to. Like I, you know I mean, like, I always go to like, damn, Congressman Verdissi was on this podcast four times before he became a congressman right. because I sent him a message on Facebook. He said, yeah, sure, I'll come, I'll come on and do it. It's just like that, right? That it's it's a weird, wonderful little concoction of people here, yeah. and I, I've always appreciated it. Right in between, like Syracuse and and New York City and Albany and all these other spots, and we've sort of like taken all the different uh, qualities of New York that's all around us because New York's a very weird state. Yeah, <laughs> I've noticed that since I've been back too, in, in terms of just reaching out and meeting people. Like people will, you know, if someone recommends you to someone, people will talk to you. Oh yeah, yeah. take the time okay. to sit down and talk to you mm. without thinking about what they're saying, gonna say next. They'll actually yeah. like talk it's one of my favorite things about here too like in la and the industry is very small world yeah um la is huge but hollywood is, is pretty small makes sense actually but every time you go out in la all people talk about is work projects shows mm-hmm. gigs mm-hmm. 
YouTube video, making this, making that, director, you know, writing this script, that script, project. And it's out here. It's like you just go out and talk to people about, like, just whatever. Yeah. Just talk to people. <laughs> like, hey, how's it going? Pretty good. I shoveled, you know, like. Car got stuck in the snow. Car that got sucks. Stuck. Yeah. This is, this is my 188th straight week of just talking to somebody. <laughs> this is all I do. 100 week, 188 weeks it's a year. It's really refreshing <laughs> to not have to be like. Yeah. Focus on other stuff besides work. I mean, uh, so for people who who want to look into some of the stuff that you've done, this is from again. These are their words on IMDb, not mine. Your career highlights. <laughs> Does that feel weird to say that? <laughs> Your career highlights, Ryan. I uh, include writing for Undateable, Roseanne, uh, Scrubs episodes, uh, an animated series called Dad's Got Ninjas, mm-hmm. and producing a vast amount of cat videos. Uh, you also play the lead role in several short films and on the hit web series. 30 nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of stuff on here that we could dig into, but is there any particular one project that you feel the most connected to or that you're the most... Uh, if what if people look at one thing on your IMDb page, what do you want them to look at? Kitten on a keyboard. That Kitten was on a keyboard. <laughs> Here's the thing. So I... It was after working on Outsourced, and mm-hmm. that was a show I got a lot of jokes in. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody remembers it. It was... Um... I do remember that show. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah we it was fun. together on that show. We yeah, Devin and I were on that same show. Second time we got to work together. Yeah. It was really awesome. Um, First time with Scrubs? We worked on together on Scrubs yeah. for four years, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got there season five? Yeah. You weren't there season nine, though. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I went to... Because season nine was the weird one. That was like the offshoot. But... Uh, yeah, we went to Outsource, and it was such a fun room. Like, Pete Holmes was there, and some other really mm. great uh, people. Patrick Walsh, like, so funny. Like, just really mm-hmm. great people. And um, it was really cool, because, like, they used a lot of our jokes. Um, uh, so it was refreshing. After that, I couldn't find a job. So I, these people who I did uh, Dad's Got Ninjas with, uh, who produced this cartoon called Fremantle Media, mm-hmm. uh, we sold that cartoon three times to three different people. Uh, oh, wait, no. Cartoon Network put in two offers for it and whatever. Everybody has their stories about how they sold stuff yeah. and didn't go through it. Um, anyway, they decided to bring me back to work on uh, this pet collective, which mm. was a pet project. And I wrote this series called Kitten on a Keyboard. It was basically like Tosh.0 oh of yeah. cats. So it was like a cat making fun of other cat videos. <laughs> That's pretty good. I loved it. I loved it. Uh, I worked with Tyler Spears, who did the voice. Um, and there was this little adorable fluffy kitten. Uh, I fostered cats for that. Uh, it was it was awesome. We worked our asses off, and it was, I think we like produced each one of us was required to produce like twelve minutes of content a week, which is crazy because you write, produce, cast it, film it, edit it, and you get it out. And uh, but we did that. You can't really find a, a lot of the videos up anymore because they took them all down after uh, yeah. we got laid off. Makes sense. But um, kind of a dick move on their part, but it makes sense. Yeah. I'm I, I, everyone seems, it seems very petty. Sometimes the industry can be a little like, uh, always yeah, very, very much. vindictive. Yes. Yeah. In a way. I, I did not anticipate taking it so hard. Like yeah. I didn't think I took it as hard as I actually did, yeah. but it was, it was heartbreaking. Um, I did exactly what they said and they changed what they wanted all the time. And, yeah. you know, I put everything into it and I had fans, I had like 2,100 followers on Facebook and millions of views on the videos and they didn't even tell me. They took it all down. Uh, YouTube, and, is a, YouTube is a blight, by the way. <laughs> Talk no, about it's, that. Not, it's not just them. It was Fremantle who were yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, really responsible. But I built that channel. Uh, they, I remember my boss was like, here, uh, he was Australian, so he's like, I will buy you a case of beer if you can find me corgi puppies to put on the internet live. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. So I did. <laughs> yeah. I did. And nobody else could do it, and I did. 
and it took us driving out to Hesperia, which is like mm. like meth country, like, whatever. The people there were actually really super nice. I found the corgis, went out there, and every single decision my boss made was horribly, horribly wrong. Mm. And then after we got it up and going, he buys me a twelve pack. I'm like, that's not a case, dude. And that wasn't the deal. Yeah. That's, you, you backed out on our deal. Can I ask you a stupid fanboy question? Yeah. Just because I, I got one. Are okay. no stupid fanboy questions. So on your on your page it says in 2009 you were an on-set production assistant and voice record unit for the Where the Wild Things Are live action movie. Is this true? Mm-hmm. Okay, I just have to ask because I'm a huge mark. Did you even see Gandolfini on set ever anywhere? Or even near him? I drove him home. Get out of here. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me you I'm rewatching Sopranos for like the seventh time. Was he? Is he cool? Is he a dick? He's, he's Tony Soprano. Is he? He's Tony Soprano all the time. Like he got in the. Oh, I have a little Hyundai Elantra a one, yeah. and like he gets in, like the car moves when he sits in, and he's like, you know, he's breathing heavy. Like I think he's just sweating from breathing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh man. Started talking about my grandpa and how he used to carry a gun around on his hip, and he's like, yeah, different generation, those guys. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, he was, he was James Gandolfini. Was he intimidating? I feel like he'd be so intimidating. Because I feel like the only things I remember seeing him from like growing up were like Sopranos and then being that dude in True Romance who's so horrifying. Intimidating is my comfort zone, unfortunately. Mm, nice. Uh, so that's good. <laughs> I don't do well with like rich people. But like, yeah, like yeah. James Gandolfini, like I don't want to say like, I don't know how to say that. Like uh, maybe affluent, I feel like it's yeah, different yeah. than rich. But like Gandolfini seemed like he was just a normal down-to-earth yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, when I was working at, I used to work in uh, Times Square. I used to work at this restaurant in Times Square, a uh, big famous tourist in New York City restaurant. And uh, we would get, I wouldn't go so far to say we got famous people in there. You get weird famous people, right? Like random famous people. You're like, oh, look, there's Doc Gooden. You're like, he's eating wings, right? Like there's Olivia Newton John. She ordered the lasagna. I'm like, wow, she looks great for 70 years old. She really did. She's Tom amazing. Green. <laughs> Tom Green would be a okay, weird. Well, you know, you would get. I met Stephen King there once, was the only time I ever really marked out, and I like made a big ass of myself. But the nicest guy I ever met was J.K. Simmons, who came into the restaurant once and sat down with like two guys who were obviously not famous, and they were like, "Oh, more drinks for my friend, Mr. Simmons." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and he was a really, but he was again, he was a nice guy because he was just like, "How you doing, pal? Nice to meet you." Like, shook my hand, like, didn't act like some. He didn't come off like I'm super famous and have tons of money, and like that was endearing in a weird way. Yeah. I just wanted to be a regular... I, I don't know. I don't know. A, uh, food court at the mall once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I played a game yeah, with... I... We played a game as waiters and this is this is a funny game that waiters in the restaurant would play. If a famous person or a celebrity or a musician or whatever would come into the, the restaurant, you go to the, re- you go to the back, you go to the Wikipedia, you go to the IMDB and you find the strangest thing that you can reference that you saw that person in. And if you say something to him, it's never like, you know, if... I don't know, so when J.K. Simmons came in, I was just like, Mr. Simmons, I just gotta tell you, you were the man in Portal 2. <laughs> he was like, ha, thanks, and he walked out, and I was like, yes! Uh, but yeah, you always gotta give him something random. My buddy did that to Adam Scott. He's like, you're the man, is Griff on Boy Meets World. He's like, thank you? I don't I don't really know how to take that. Uh, sorry, so yeah, if you can steal that movie, if you ever see it on somebody. Um, oh, totally. Uh, I, let me see. On that, on that movie, though, yeah, uh, yeah. I only worked... A- a few days, maybe a week. Mm. It was through Aaron McCormick, who also went to Syracuse with us. She's huh. the one who got me that gig. But the most fulfilling for me, or most like starstruck I was, yeah. was Catherine O'Hara. 
Oh, yeah, she's um, great. She though. was oh, so man. nice and friendly. She's like, yeah. you have to come out and, and we'll come see you do improv. And we'll, mm. you know, this, it's like, wow. Like, she, like, mm. looked me in the eye and talked right to me. I'm like, wow, just an amazing person. Uh, so you're wearing the Roseanne uh, shirt, which yes. I, I do love. You were on, you were a writer assistant for eight episodes of the 2018 series. Now I'm assuming this is the, the Roseanne series, not the Connors series. Right. This is a different writing crew? I don't know. I didn't uh, work on the Connors. Yeah. So what was that? Was that like a, that must have been strange? I was like, I feel like the narrative around that show got bigger than the actual whether people were watching the show or not to a certain time, right? Uh, at that point in my career, I said I'm never being a writer's assistant again because really? I was just coming off of Two Broke Girls, yeah, uh, as a writer's assistant. And uh, but then that shows I, on syndication though. Now. <laughs> shows all over the place. <laughs> Shaking your head at it, I love it. Uh, I didn't have anything to do with the jokes that went into that show. I will leave it at that. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. Yeah. Um, it was only for one season, and it mm. was more than enough for me. Uh, but uh, so I had a friend, Randall Winston, who was the line producer on that, and mm. he wanted me in there so he could have a person. Because, you know, there's like above the line, below the line, there's mm. the producers, sure. there's the writers, all that stuff. He wanted somebody in the writer's room who could relay information to him sure. because I understand both sides of the, the book. Um, both sides of the coin? Both sides. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah like, so there's production and then there's yeah. everybody else. So, yeah, I was, I did it for Randall and then I also met Bruce Helford who interviewed me and I'm like, this guy created Drew Carey and, you know, was another Gary David, David, Gary David Goldberg guy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, family ties and stuff. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, he created Norm, George Lopez, just I a love, really... I love that show, Norm, by the way. Kind of underrated. I thought Norm was hilarious. Incredibly underrated. <laughs> Norm in general's got a, such an odd singular sense of humor I, that I, I feel like a lot of people just don't I don't see what he's so, so funny, dude. Well, one of my favorite things, I was talking to Norm in the room once, and we were talking about books, and I'm like, did mm. you ever read the Bob Newhart book? And he's like, nah. I'm like, uh, well, he mentions you in, in, a, in a good way. He's like, nah. I'm like, so I didn't tell him this, but I'm like, you, you know, you should read it. He's like, all right. Norm was one of the Roseanne writers. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Writers. Sorry. Thank you for the context. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Um, I didn't know that. He would come in like once a week. That makes sense, actually. So in uh, in Newhart's book, uh, I shouldn't even be doing this, uh, which I recommend to everybody, mm-hmm. uh, he says, you know, you see a lot of stand-up comedians going up there and be like, oh, this guy's doing it in this person's style. Or this person's trying to do like a like a Bill Hicks style. Or this person's trying to do like a Stephen Wright style. And then you get the comedian, and this is like you in the book. Then you get Norm MacDonald, and he's doing Norm MacDonald. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's how you can tell, you know, somebody special. Uh, so, anyway, I didn't tell Norm that story, but I told him you should read the book. Yeah. Uh, Bob Newhart is one of my all-time favorites, too. Oh, he's great. Legend. Um what was the question? Well, we were talking about that. Was it frustrating working on that series when it seemed like the narrative around that season of Roseanne almost overtook whether or not people were like liking the show or not? It felt like it's got to be frustrating to have that sort of taken out of your hands. Um, you know, everybody was like talking about hype, and it's good to have that kind of stuff. And yeah. it's 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 nice to be part of something important. Yeah, for and sure. it's nice to be part of something people care about. Yeah. I mean, especially now, it's like there's so many TV shows. Like, yes, I could be making tons of money like writing on some of these tv shows yeah. that are just soul-suckingly awful oh it's 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 like i wouldn't i'd be like yes dad i have a bunch of money now and i can buy you a boat but uh please don't watch <laughs> the show i'm working on um but uh 
I thought it was real and I thought it was important and I, I do think it, it was it's opinions that need to be yeah. looked into you know and I've watched the Connor since then some really great writers on yeah. that I got to work with in that room like really great uh, some great cast you know I got to write jokes for like John Goodman Laurie Metcalf and, like, that's the part that's so surreal I mean, yeah like. and Sarah Gilbert came out to me like during one of the shows or after one of the shows she's like hey this was like one of our favorite jokes you know of the season like we heard there was you I'm like oh it's a group effort but I was like Maybe. after she left I'm like Darlene, like I had a crush on her all oh, yeah. through like school, and like, wow, you actually <laughs> it was mind blowing. You actually just brought up a really interesting point that I was going to ask you about, uh, sort of about the ownership thing. You're working in like a writing room, but do you is there some level of like ownership to the stuff you write, or is it really just like what I write is for the show and it's all encompassing? Is it depend on a person? What's that process like? Uh, I always found that people who take like ownership of it uh, like annoying. Yeah, okay. It's frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's like, because it is, whatever, we do it together. It's For the most part, especially in a sitcom, there are, you know, ten or a dozen writers on every episode. Exactly, that's what I was going to say. And everybody works on every draft from yeah. from the, you know, the beat sheet to the outline to the mm-hmm. first draft of the script. Everybody gets a shot at everything. Yeah. And uh, so one writer will get their name on the script each time, but every time it's a good effort. You know? Yeah, and s- jokes are easy. Jokes yeah. are easy. It's like if you like be like, oh yeah, that was the story I came up with. That that is impressive because uh-huh. that's hard to do. Because you know if you watch a lot of sitcoms or a lot of TV shows in general, like a lot of them are like you know cookie cutter. You can like cut and paste. Mm-hmm. You know you know paint by number. Here's the story. It's like okay, here's the hot nanny story. Okay, here's the we don't know how to throw a yeah. birthday for the kids story. Here's uh, you know at school like you know bully story. Here's this story. It's like, it's like the, South Park ruined Family Guy for me once they broke down like how Family Guy does their jokes. And yeah, yeah. Like I was like, wow, they really really nailed it. Yeah, you really got that one, didn't you? But it also ruined Inception for me. You ever see that one? Yeah. God, they ruined that movie for me. Damn it, South Park. <laughs> really? I feel like you could still watch Inception and have no idea what's going on, even if somebody gave you spoilers. No, but like the way they talked about that movie with like the way like it doesn't have to. It's it's so good. They just really took that movie down a peg. Yeah. I can't unsee it. The way only they can do it. Yeah. I love yeah, South Park. Yeah. Those uh, guys are, I'll reference them a lot. I want to ask you one uh, question based off of this that I'm, I, wanted, I want you to verify. Because this, uh, your IMDb page says that your greatest influence is Bill Lawrence. Is that true? Or is that just something they wrote about you? <laughs> I wrote that. You wrote that. I wrote so that. So that is true then. Yeah. yeah. Probably. Uh, you know, as much as I'd like to say it's like Cheers or something like that, yeah. or uh, Seinfeld or, or Newhart or Friends. Uh, when I was doing stand-up and I was watching Scrubs, uh, I hadn't seen it before, and it was like middle of season three or four or something like that. I'm like, wow. Yeah. I want to do that. Um and looking back, it's like a lot of the a lot of that stuff is smoke and mirrors. Like mm-hmm. you can't like go and watch an episode and, and put the uh, the voiceovers next to each other and be like, oh, that makes total sense. Yeah. And, you know, and they all pretty much start the same way. <laughs> like, like now and then, or like now that I look at it, now that I realize. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's but like I mean, the Wonder Years thing. Scrubs was my favorite show when I got a job on it. Oh yeah. It was dog. mine too. Yeah. And I think for both of us, it was. Um, Definitely the biggest influence. I mean, definitely for me mm. too, because 
it was our education, right? We yeah. started working out as production assistants in, in the office. Ryan started out as a locations assistant, like moving the air conditioning vents around yeah. when we moved from set to set. Like seven bucks an hour, like manual labor. Yeah, like, like it was. Know, yeah, you, we got to work for all the different departments and see how the kind of thing run. And, everything. And, so lucky because we did. I get, we get to hung, hang out on set. We got to hang out with the writers. Like, and, and it was such a unique experience because that uh, building is an abandoned hospital and studios are they're all over the place. Um, you know, it's like sometimes you send, you know, you're editing to this building on this side of town and all this other crap. You know, casting is in this building on this side of town and then writers are here in production. But at Scrubs, we had this abandoned hospital hmm. that was, like, you could just go exploring. And there's, like, That's rooms crazy. that were just, like, a whole bunch of gurneys and yeah. stuff like that, a weird crap and garbage. But uh, it was we like had... in college. Yeah, there was... The production was there... Uh, like the production office was there, the writers were there, the casting was there, the editing was there, everything was all inclusive. And it was, and they told us, everybody told us when we were there, it's like, you're spoiled, you're never going to find anything like this again. Yeah. So unfortunate because we, because there isn't anything that exists like that. But it was a family uh, experience and it was very lucky. I think we were both very lucky to have a part of it. Uh, you can follow Ryan on Twitter at DudeGuyPants, great Twitter name. Uh, where, can, where else can people follow you outside of Twitter? What are your other platforms people want to get on you? Um, on Instagram is SomeCatGuy. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. <laughs> uh, YouTube, I, I believe that's DudeGuyPants. Facebook is DudeGuyPants, but I don't really Facebook anymore. I'll link everything after we're done, too, if you don't want to list everything. It's fine. Uh, Tumblr. Oh, you're Tumblr guy. Yeah, well, used to be, but I'm you're trying to get guy? back into it. No, I gotta get I gotta do Reddit yeah. because I really like it's like Tumblr. I like posting stuff. Reddit's a it's like Twitter. It's like yeah, you better cultivate the stuff you want because it gets real dicey real quick if you're not careful about what you get into in yeah. there. It's a trouble. Dicey. It's just a lot of wild people with wild opinions on there. You gotta be careful what you yeah. You know. A lot of flat earthers on there. I'll put it that way. A lot of what? A lot of flat earthers and anti vaxxers on there. Oh great. Yeah, a lot of that. You gotta get past that. Uh, but um, yeah, no, I. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, well, I guess I are you ready to do a quick lightning round before I let you go? I know I've kept you on longer than I planned to, but um... yeah, dude, good. I'm sorry if I've uh, no, I dig long winded because no, I dig it. Something at the beginning of the the interview, you told me like you you were asking these students, you know, it's like what what do you what do you like? What don't you like? Yeah, what which you, yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. I really wish somebody had asked me that at some point. Because I don't think anyone ever did. Me too, yeah. No, no one asked me what I um, like to do. It's so, it's such a weird thing. I don't have kids of my own, right? I have four nieces and nephews, two two nieces and two nephews, and I love them very much, but that's as close as I got to having kids. So my, my students are my kids, and what I have to remember sometimes is like, when I'm trying to, it's a weird fine line. You want to be an authority figure. You want them to respect you. But you also want your kids to, like, feel like you support them. Because a lot of these kids don't have any support system at home, right? They they come to school in the same outfit every day because they don't have another pair of pants or a winter coat and it's negative 20 degrees out. So there's a fine line. It's almost like it's almost like uh, like part-time parenting, right? You have, to, you have to be authoritative. You have to show them the right way to do things and how to be a respectful human being and to take care of others. But you also, you know, have to understand where they come from and... and find out the things that are important to them because listening to a kid is super important because I can't tell you like how many times I watch like kids talk to their parents and the parents just like yeah whatever fine like kids just want someone to listen to them even if like kids will talk to me about shit that I have no idea what they're talking about I just gotta do that thing I'm like uh huh they're like so I was playing God of War and Thanos showed up and punched somebody in the face I'm like yeah dope I'm like I don't, I don't know but sometimes you just have to 
let them feel like you're taking them seriously. And that's something that a lot of adults do not do at all. They just don't take kids seriously. I feel like we're about to hug. Thanks, man. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I think, and you, maybe you'll appreciate this, I think a lot of, like, 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds look at, like, the 20- and 30-year-old generation like don't treat us like adults. They look at us like we're still kids. I had some lady in public. I got in a fight in public once about, like, politics or something. Like, this lady was pro-Trump and I was anti-Trump, and she's like, that's what's wrong with you kids these days. I'm like, lady, I'm 33, I'm not a kid. I have, like, a, I have an apartment and a real job. Like, yeah. I'm, a, I'm gonna have a master's degree in, like, six months. Like, I'm not a child. So, I, yeah. I don't know, it's all it's all perspective. Yeah, uh, all yeah right. that's important, though. So I, let me, I thank you for doing that for those kids. Well, I... And thank you for asking me questions, too. This is fun. <laughs> it's this my is, great pleasure. It's the first time this has ever happened. So, uh, so here we go. A couple quick lightning round questions uh, for you, uh... Ryan Kemp, when you wake up in the morning, how do you take your coffee? Black, like my cats. Black like your Now, this is the same question I always ask. Uh, did you always start drinking black coffee, or did you have to work your way into black coffee? Because I'm, like, still a cream and sugar guy, and I'm, like, sort of, like, kind of down about it. So actually, I have a story about this. All right, I dig it. Okay, yeah, cool. I also so, feel like he has a more specific coffee order than that. Mm. Three ice cubes. Three ice cubes. Because I wanted, I don't want it to be so hot where it ruins the rest of my day. So you, oh, wait, so you put three ice cubes in a hot cup of coffee. Right. And so it's not, it's still hot. Interesting. But not like. Can you get watery? No. No. It's all watery. Anyway, I guess. D- d- well, he orders it like that. Huh. Depends on the size of the ice cubes. A number one. But once you find a place that like will actually do three yeah. ice cubes, uh, you know, and they're good size, and they not be like because some places are like, oh yeah, I'm just making an iced coffee. No, that's not it. I want it hot. I just don't want to burn my freaking mouth. <laughs> so uh, the, That's fair. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be nuclear. Um, you know, it's like a Hot Pocket or like mozzarella stick. You know, I feel like... I won't get into that bit right now. But uh, I have a whole bit about <laughs> no, it's it. True, no, it's true. Uh, I, I have a percolator, which uh, you take it out of the percolator, and it's about 9 billion degrees. Yeah. Uh, but then you got to wait for about five minutes. Yeah. But then what you forget that it's there, and like 15 minutes later, I'm like, now I have a... Cold, cold cup of coffee that I have to drink half of, and then I have to start tempering it with the hot coffee. It becomes a whole thing. It I'm is. Anal retentive. Yeah, no, it's not. It's absolutely, you know, coffee at just the right temperature is, I know it sounds really, like, fruity, but, like, that's, it's wonderful. <laughs> it is. It's bliss. So, I, uh, I never liked coffee. I had a lot of people try to give me coffee, and, like, I remember one girl was, like, just poured tons of cream and sugar in it, and she's like, if you don't like it like this, you'll never like it. And yeah. it was, like, tasted gross. And it was on Scrubs, you know, and I was probably 26 at this point, 27. You're doing great at the speed round. <laughs> yeah, I know. See, this is, don't ask me anything ever. Um, so I was doing, I was probably 27, and it was one of those days where it's like we left work at 2 a.m. and had to be back at like 6 a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> so, and like soda wasn't doing it for me anymore because I would just drink like a six-pack of soda every day, which uh, is yeah. terrible. So I tried coffee black. I had an Americano, and I'm like... This is freaking awesome. Yeah, this is the new... <laughs> this is delicious. This is my new god now. Yeah, and so I just went to that. So I went black. Uh, what was your first automobile? Uh, it was the four, 1983 Ford Econoline van passed down from my uncle to my brother Ooh, to me. Econoline van. That's pretty good. Yeah, it was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you could see through parts of it. 83? How long did you have that for? I think a couple of years before. I was gonna say, there were literally like if you're sitting on the inside, like even not 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 just the windows, but there's other parts where you could see the outside oh, like, yeah. through the van, like there was rusted <laughs> holes and stuff. But it was carpeted all on the inside. We had a bed in the back, and uh, we used to smoke a lot of weed in there, and mm. it was just it was cool, man. I loved it. Like 
we had a tour van when I was uh, playing in the band where we put the trailer on the back of it and that was another one of those vans that had like the, the running lights on the top yeah. and it was great I loved it it was Dude. very freeing it's a nice feeling though it's like Ryan's a van guy when we first moved to LA Ryan had a van yeah and would like come over and then like we'd be like hey do you want to crash here I'd be like oh, I'm just going to go out and crash in the van yeah which uh, I later found out I could get a DWI for but I, gave, can, I yeah. think I left my keys whatever it doesn't if matter. your keys are in the in the ignition, right? Like there's no. You have to, even if they're on you or near you. Really? Yeah, it's oh man, stupid. well, I was wrong. But uh, uh, but it did come in handy for like going down to the beach and just like that makes sense. Yeah. You may or may not have been in your '83 Econoline van to see it, but what was your first live music event? Uh, poison. Poison. And uh, slaughter. I think it was <laughs> slaughter. No, was it Skid Row? I think it was Slaughter who opened up for him. Poison. My sister. War Memorial, Rochester. My sister had a Skid Row poster on her on the back of her door when I was a kid, and uh, I that was the only thing I knew about that era. I missed it by a couple of years, but uh, so fucking metal, dude. <laughs> it wasn't metal, not not at all. But it was it was fun. And then Nirvana came along and was like, "Everything sucks," and it's like. We, that's a longer Shh. that's a longer discussion. Stop it. That's a longer Stop discussion Nirvana. because I am a huge Pearl Jam guy, but. I'm kind of impartial to Nirvana, like that it's fine, right? But but we'll, we'll talk about that later yeah, on. Yeah, different, different podcasts. Yeah. Uh, if you could sit down with any one person uh, for dinner who is not your family, living or dead, who would it be? Bill Watterson. Bill Watterson. I'm so happy you said that. Did you notice we have like the entire Calvin and Hobbes collection on the, in the table over there? I did not, but I'll I'll sh- but yeah. it's some of the best, I think, reflective material that I've ever oh, read in my entire life. And, you know, I've read a lot of books, a lot of scripts, seen a lot of movies, all this other stuff. Uh, uh, you know, academic and and otherwise, and I feel like I've gained more peace of mind from the Calvin and Hobbes collections. I, I always go back to one particular comic strip and this one particular moment in my life. I remember I was at a I used to go to CCD class or religion class because my parents like took us to church when we were kids, but my dad was also like, I'm just gonna stay home and like get drunk and watch Godzilla movies. I'm like, why can't how come I can't do that? So we in itself, I think, is a religion now. It is. It's true. Uh, so. We used to go to, like, religion class, and on Wednesdays you have to go, and then one time we had to go to, like, a dinner. So I remember going to this, like, church dinner, right? And I didn't really want to go, so my mom's like, well, bring your, your Calvin and Hobbes book with you. It was, like, my mom and my stepdad and me, right? And it was, like, my parents just got divorced not too long ago, and I remember reading this one story arc where Calvin goes on vacation with his mom and dad, and he leaves Hobbes at home, and the house gets broken into while they're gone. And they come back, and he's all freaking out because he thinks somebody stole Hobbes, and it's great. But there's just one panel in it where the mom and dad are talking, and she's like, basically like, man, I can't feel comfortable in this house anymore. I can't believe if somebody broke into our house, I'll never be able to feel comfortable. And she just says, this is the kind of thing that happens to somebody else. And the dad looks at her and goes, yeah, but we're somebody else to somebody else. And that particular line of content like helped me get through my parents getting divorced. Just that concept, I was like, I thought people's parents getting divorced was something that happened to other people. But I'm somebody else to somebody else, and that was a big thing for me. So I'm like a huge Calvin Hobbes mark, almost primarily for that single moment in my life. And I read every single Calvin Hobbes thing afterwards. So yeah. I didn't get the tattoo yet. One of these days. It's a good. One of these days, I'm going to get the Calvin and Hobbes tattoo. Um, Make sure you get the Calvin and Hobbes, and not with like the Calvin peeing on something. No, no, that's no, not, it's not a Bill Watterson thing at all. No, he was like, "What is that?" Good documentary about that, though. How much money he could have made, though. Like, and in hindsight, now that everyone markets everything and everyone just sells everything, he would have made so. He's, that's not, yeah. I know it's not what he's about, but, like, I just think, no. like, man, crazy that they, no one, you don't think now someone would have put, like, a whole truck full of money up to their house and just been like, please let us make Hobbs dolls for all the little kids? Oh, dude. It'd be so dope to have a Hobbs doll. But, you know, yet that's why people get cats. Did you point. watch, uh... Searching for a Walrus? Kidding. 
kidding. No, I know I love the show. I didn't watch much of it. Uh, uh, Jim Carrey plays kind of a mm. uh, uh, Mr. Rogers kind of guy. Yeah. There's, a, there's a story arc where they mm. want to make toys. And like, <laughs> it's a good show. I, you mentioned a documentary in Bill Watterson. I don't believe I've seen it. I will show it to you on Netflix. It's called Searching. It's about this guy who basically tries to track down Bill Watterson and talk to him. It's, it's pretty interesting. I'll find. I'll put it up on Netflix for I will. you. I'll watch that tonight. Give me one book, album, movie, or show you are currently uh, reading, listening to, or watching. Um, book, movie, album, or show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. We just watched the Fire Festival documentaries. Both of them? <laughs> what did you think? We just talked about that in last week's episode. I like the Netflix one better. Really? But, yeah, but it, I don't know. I mean, it felt like there was a point of view where it just felt like it was more organized. I don't know, though. But, I mean, they're both... Very interesting. Hmm. And, uh, I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna watch it eventually. Parkinson, my buddy Parkinson, who runs the Made in Utica site, told me he watched both of them. And his issue with the Netflix one, he said, was that the the company that ran the festival was involved in it, so they sort of like skirted any real blame that they had for and it. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. So I kind of want to. I almost want to go back and watch it. I'm not going to, but yeah. like that. So he yeah, said he told me better. that the Hulu one was good too. You should watch both of them realistically if you're into that kind of thing. I don't know how much time I have to put into like a. A burnout millennial festival that I'm a little bit too old to go I, I for. Wish but I like... hadn't watched either of them. <laughs> really? Is that is you, could, <laughs> you could get by without watching them? Uh, and I guess one last one, Ryan, before we call it quits. Keep Wait, oh, uh, oh, did I answer that? Wait, one book. Oh, you only need one. You don't need one for everything. Oh, okay. I so... was whatever particular thing you were listening to, reading to, or watching. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Do you have a book you want to talk about? I'm reading it now. It's called uh, "Man's Search for Meaning." Hmm. Uh, Forget who it's by, which is bad because it's a famous author and book. That sounds familiar. You can be stat guy over there for a second if you want to look that I'll up for me. Up. Uh, I'll give you one. I'll give, while he's looking that up, I'll give you the last question. Uh, give me one more thing besides uh, besides comedy, uh, besides surfing, uh, besides writing that you, Ryan Kemp, are passionate about. Cooking. Cooking. And skiing. Really? Yeah. And skiing. cats. Yeah, you seem like you're into cats. I've got cats are important. You made friends with Charlie, which is a nice, which is a good bonus. Cats, I think, are the only animals who or creatures ever that will be like give you, one hundred percent, you know, treat you like you treat them. Oh, yeah. Ratio. You know, a dog will give you unconditional love because you feed it. Cats, though, I feel like, if you are one hundred percent nice to them, they'll be one hundred percent nice to you. And if you're one hundred percent mean to them, or, or any variations thereof, See, I feel like they're right there. I'm kind of on the other side of that because Charlie the cat loves me. I love Charlie the cat, but if Charlie the cat were twice as big, he'd probably kill me. Not because he doesn't love me, just because he would be couldn't help himself. He's a big he's a cat. They kill things. They're predators. I feel like that's their whole. I don't know. I love the fact that this cat just goes out and does his own thing and doesn't want to be involved with us for like half the day yeah. and just comes back. I'm I'm into that. Independence, yeah. man, it's great. Ryan, it was an absolute pleasure talking. I want to thank you so much for coming to join us here today. Again, follow Ryan on Twitter, Dude Guy Pants. I'll put the link for all the other stuff that we talked about earlier through the Facebook page. Thanks for spending so much time, though. It was an yeah, absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, great pleasure. This is sir. great. Uh, thank you guys for listening and uh, hope to see you soon. Come take my class. Come yeah. down to you, Uptown. Devin, thank you again. Always a pleasure oh, to have you in. Yeah, you're in. That's fine. We'll be back to the show in just a moment. Once again, to 
Ryan Kemp. Follow him on Twitter at DudeGuyPaints. He's got tons of uh, links and stuff that I'll put for all his different social media platforms. But yeah. Hey, Heather, you see I got Uticast cards now to give to people? I got a good sweet deal. I know I have my name on them. Like a schmuck. <laughs> I hope it does. Like a schmuck. I forgot to put both you guys' names on them as well. I could have just done like a joint card for all of them. No, that would have been smarter. Can't have that, though. Can't have that? No, I can't have that. Mm. Sam and friends? Can't have that. Because then you give it out, they don't know who it is. And I can't have like Riff Raff, you're giving cards out to calling me. <laughs> yeah, that's a great I'm point. not passing the message. That's a great not point. Not your water boy, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great point. Uh,. I have two sets of cards now, I've noticed. I have like a business cards and then this business card. So I got to make sure I'm giving the right cards to the people now. You got uh, cards for like, uh, for work? Yeah, for work cards. I yeah, thought yeah. it was dual. I looked at No, they're not. Two, no, they're not. They are. The Uticast ones are dual sided, but the other backside is very oh, plain. So these are nice. I got a screaming deal on them because that's the only way I ever do anything now is if I get a screaming, screaming deal on it because I ain't no dummy. By screaming, do you mean Parkinson did it? No, no, no. I actually paid money for these, my own money. But I got a crazy deal from, I think it was from large-scale card printing company A, I think. like just Sounds like you'd get a deal through something like that. Uh, all right, so again, thank you to Ryan Kemp. Great conversation. Really enjoyed talking to him. Uh, I couldn't believe he had actually met James Gandolfini. We've been watching so much Sopranos lately that I... Yeah. Uh, so I couldn't help but ask him. Uh, all right, so let's just do the history lessons because uh, the show's already going to go on, I feel like, and I feel like we've done a lot of these history lessons before in the past. Well, yeah. Years do repeat themselves. They do repeat themselves, <laughs> and I feel like I've done a couple of these before. Uh, so on this, uh, on this year... Uh, on this day, 1936, the first Major League Baseball Hall of Fame class was inducted. Uh, of course, the legends Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, Honus Wagner, Christy Mathewson, and Walter Johnson. The great, the great Hall of Fame class. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna forgo talking about them, and I'm just gonna shout out Mariano Rivera, who was uh, inducted into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame unanimously. This week. Unanimously, the first unanimously, player. Unanimously, you New England suckers. Yeah, take that. Uh, there's two. Uh, also, one of my all-time favorite players, Mike Mussina. What's the matter? I thought I kicked you. Oh, did keep you kick going, me? You kick <laughs> one of my. You know who Mike Mussina is? He's played for the Yankees. You ever heard sure, that name? I've heard the name. Yeah, he was one of my all-time favorite players. He also made the Hall of Fame this week right. just by like seven votes. So congratulations. There are two other guys who made it who were very deserving. I can't remember who they are now. I'm totally blanking on the non-Yankee portion of the... Roy Holiday. That was the other one. And then somebody else. So good job for you guys getting into the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Ah, salute. Great work, boys. Great work, lads. Uh, on, <laughs> on this day, uh, 1986, uh, it was the Challenger explosion. Spaceship Aww. Challenger lifted off from Cape Canaveral, Florida uh, with uh, Krista uh, McAuffley, who was the on her way to becoming the first ordinary U.S. citizen to travel into space. Mm. Um, she was a 37-year-old high school teacher. She has it's a sad so story. Sad. I know. Uh, she'd won a competition and earned first place uh, among the seven members of the Challenger. I just remember my mom always talking about this. This was, like, right after I was born, and she was a teacher, and I remember, like, every one of her friends being really excited because, like, a, yeah. a school teacher. Now, let me ask you this question. I know that I don't mean it to be morbid in this way. Mm. If you would want a competition, even now, to go into space, you going? No. No, you wouldn't go. Afraid of heights. Afraid of heights. Kev, you go into space if you win the space competition? As long as it's not one of these ridiculous go to Mars and die there competitions. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, okay. like yeah. go up and hit orbit and go to the, the space station. Uh, yeah, 100%. 100%. 100% mm-hmm. provided how long is it going to take me to train and get up there and do everything and all that stuff. And mm. so, like, if I've because if i got to, like, do, like, training and stuff for a year 
how will I be compensated to pay for my life so I don't have to be homeless? I see. Space? I see. Even still, yeah, I'm probably going to space. Um, but I would have to have answer those questions. Fun fact about the Challenger explosion, and by fun fact, I mean the opposite. Yeah. Uh, they did not die in the explosion. No. It's a true story. So they were, after it exploded and blew apart, they were all still up there. Oh, until so they disintegrated. Terrible. Yeah, it's, I mean, Terrible. not even until it came all the way back down, which is some of the most horrifying stuff I could ever imagine. Mm. Terrible. So, you know, Thanks big smiles on the Uticast. Let's be morbid. Let's just add a little bit more to it. Uh, <laughs> Never oh, look away from the darkness in life. That's not. Makes the light more worth no, it. No, it doesn't. It does. <laughs> on this day, 1835, uh, Richard Lewis, an unemployed house painter, approached President Andrew Jackson in Washington, D.C. as he left a congressional uh, a congressional funeral held in the, white, uh, in the House chambers uh, and fired a shot at him, but his gun misfired. The furious 67-year-old president confronted the attacker, clubbed him several times with his walking cane. Uh, during the scuffle, Richard Lewis managed to pull a second gun on the president and pull the trigger. But guess what? It also misfired. Uh, Jackson's aides then wrestled Lawrence away from the president, leaving Jackson unharmed uh, and angry and paranoid, it turns out. Uh, turns out later research on the guns that Richard Lewis, uh, Lawrence used to attempt to kill President Andrew Jackson. They were made out of wood. They were made out of wood. Uh, oh, were they really? Number one. Oh, I was just being a jerk. Uh, well, they probably were made out of wood, I would imagine. Uh, it was later documented that both guns uh, misfired. The odds of both guns misfiring were still one in 125,000, even at the time. Wow. With, like, old Derringer-style handgun pistols. 125,000, which is creeping up towards the number of Indians that Andrew Jackson had genocided. True. Indian Ruvalak. Look that up. Dark stuff. Mm-hmm. Andrew Jackson, a very, very controversial type figure. Very disgusting. <laughs> kind of gross guy. Not a great guy. No. <laughs> Not a great guy. Although, I still, the part that, the part of this that always gets me is just, what a time to be alive when you could just walk up to the White House. Just like, I feel like this is kind of how Trump would have it if it was in his own world. Like, you could just walk up and talk to him. Like, in his mind, like okay. the people. His denial. He doesn't want to talk to the people. No, you don't think so? Unwashed masses? No. That's true. No, I don't think he wants to talk to the... No. <laughs> the opposite. He the opposite. Do you think he has any in interest in the people? His people. If no. He, he you don't think to... his people would show up and, like, this ask him questions? This is the dickhead out here on the campaign trip thing. I love the poorly educated. Yeah. No, he thinks these people are, are unwashed slime. <laughs> That's why he let him walk up to the White House. <laughs> vote for him again. On this day... You don't vote at the White House. No. I mean, I vote there. I know that. Sure, I don't, you know. like, go see him, and then they'll vote for him. Forget it. Good. Forget it. Good. I have. I'm done. I'm already passed Next on. history. On this day. it's so exciting. <laughs> 1873. Uh, Jules Verne's classic, Around the World in 80 Days, is published. Uh, can you name one other Jules Verne's story? Why are you looking at me? Because you're my first... Because I'm sure Kevin knows one already, so I want to ask I you first. <laughs> You probably do. One I more. No, if I probably if I heard it, I probably know. Uh, how about what's the one about the the, the submarine that people get stuck on? No, oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Kevin, name it Jules Verne's novel. Twenty thousand leagues under oh, the sea. I know sea. that one. Yeah, yeah. Do you know Journey to the Center of the yes, Earth? Yes, I do. Yeah. Journey to the Center. How about From the Earth to the Moon? No. How about The Mysterious Island? I remember that one because they made that into a movie with a big giant stop motion animation crab that the people had to kill. That was a good movie. Uh, Jules Verne considered to be one of the fathers of science fiction, title given to him by uh, H.G. Wells, Mary Shelley, and Hugo Grenzbach. I got to say, for someone who loves reading as much as I do, I never really cared about going back to read like a Jules Verne's novel. But I do remember all the movie adaptations that they made of all of these books. So I, I, I guess that's the generation that I'm from, right? Yeah. Remember all the Harryhausen adaptations. 
don't know if you have any extra Jules Verne's takes before I move on. I'm good. All right. <laughs> All right. And last but not least, on this day, 1999, Seth MacFarlane's Family Guy first airs on Fox. Um, my nephew is super in on Family Guy suddenly because it's bet like, you I know which one. Yeah, bet you do. <laughs> Uh, and he, because he tried to get me last, because he was like feeling me out on it. He's like, "Don't you think Family Guy's really funny?" Like that was the, that was the way you framed the question for me. Don't you think that Family Guy's really funny, like funnier than The Simpsons is? And I was like, "Nah." I was like, "It's all right." <laughs> I loved it in college. Well, let me ask you this question: as a as you today, do you find that show to be overrated or underrated? It's probably the only one I would watch, so I'd probably underrate it. Under, I think yeah. it's kind of come around to being a little underrated because there 100%. was so much kind of It did like, that thing where it was overrated for a while, overextended then, itself. Now it's trendy to be like, oh, family, actually, family guy is awful. And so now um, it's become thus underrated, I think. I don't know, I, and I don't like comedy cartoons, like some yeah. stuff, but that one I actually... I think with that show in particular, more than any other like animated show that I can think of, it has the highest level I think of variance between like that was hard to watch and that was hilarious, (laughs) right? Like it's it's like it it, almost in between sketches and in between like a single episode. Like you'll watch an episode and be like, "This was rough for like three minutes," and then they'll do something that's like, "That's the funniest thing I've ever seen," right? So I, I really do think the level of variance on that show is, I guess, sort of what keeps me from being like. Every time I'm out, they kind of pull me back well, in. Well, Simpsons has got that. Because the problem with... Because Simpsons is obviously the first app comparison. Um, and the problem, I think, one of the things with Simpsons is it's sort of like when a great player keeps playing for too long. Yeah. Like, when like Simpsons has become Jordan on the Wizards, if Jordan played for the Wizards for an additional 20 years. Yeah. With every year that you put out <laughs> junk, you're rounding down your career stats. Those seasons two to eight of The Simpsons are untouchable. Hmm. And I literally can't imagine somebody watching those and not enjoying them, not dying laughing. Seasons two through eight. And then after that, it starts to, you know, decline, 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 and further and further down. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, I haven't watched it in a while. And I'm sure if I watched it with my friends and we were hanging out, I'd find some stuff to chuckle at. Yeah. But, you know, Jordan could put up 15 points on The Wizards. Does Family Guy have that peak, though? Was there a period... Okay, so we're sitting here talking about Simpsons as, like, okay, periods, like, seasons three through nine, right? Those are ostensibly the ones people like to talk about. Mm. I don't know if there's, like, a Family Guy murderer's role, like, gotta watch seasons six through ten. I, I have no I know, idea. Probably not, though. Probably not. <laughs> no, because it's a lot more topical, quick jokes and non-sequiturs and stuff yeah. as opposed to, like... There's not a lot of episodes where they really oh. fully tell a story. Oh, look at this. It looks like the, the Maiden right. Utica crew is showing up. You guys can come through if you need to. It's all right. The Maiden Utica crew is here getting excited for the Royal Rumble, and they're bringing food through the studio. Hi, Justin. Uh, <laughs> all sorts of pizzas. Hi, Kate. Hi, Kate. So let's finish. Let's go ahead and finish up the rest of our lesson. So we, yeah, now we're going to snag it out. Uh, so, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I don't know if there was like a high point for that series that you can go back and be like, this is the part no. of the show that I think it's you should go kind of watch. Show. Yeah, yeah. People get confused because they're both cartoons with yeah. different kind of shows. All right, so let's get into the rest of this week's uh, news real quick. Uh, and I, this is actually a really serious story, and I just want to mention, uh, by the time you guys hear this, it will have passed. But today uh, is, is Holocaust Remembrance Day. Yeah. Uh, and I want to say, I've a couple times every year I go to uh, the, uh, the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. We take our kids from work there. And... Um, for anybody who's never gone there, it is one of the most like moving and humbling and like powerful museum experiences I've ever gone to. So if you ever get an opportunity to go to that or the or the Jewish History Museum in New York City, they're both really really like amazing uh, museums to go see. So it's just remember uh, what happened and, and never forget those things. 
it does tie into another story I heard today, which is really creepy. Did you guys hear about the book that people found, the Hitler-owned book that had Nazi plans for North America? Did you read the story at all? No. Oh, man. So there was a book that was found. It was a book that was once owned by Adolf Hitler, and it, it was a... Uh, it was written by a Nazi researcher who was spending time in the U.S. before World War II. It was acquired in Canada by the Library and Archives. And what it really is is a – it's just details of Jewish populations in large cities throughout the United States. It's like this one-off book. It's horrifying. Isn't that so creepy? No, it's scary. It's, it's so unnerving because you never – like, I don't know. I can't imagine, like – that seems like like something you'd see on that show, like, Man in the Iron Castle. Like, I can't imagine – it's, it's weird to think about the depths of where it could have gone. Like, yeah. the idea of, like, the Nazis in America, like, oh, truly in this way. I haven't seen that in a while. <laughs> uh, it's definitely worth reading. There's a BBC article about that, and that was on BBC News. I thought that was interesting and tied into uh, what we are talking about. All right. Let's run through some less serious news. A lot of heavy stuff we went through here. You guys ready for some not-so-serious news? Ready. Did you guys see that uh, Carmen Sandiego is back? Oh, I still love that. <laughs> yeah, Carmen Sandiego. The classic uh, television show, cartoon character, whatever into a video game character, depending on when you played it, is back on Netflix, except now Carmen Sandiego is not a bad guy. She's a good guy. Are you are you bothered by the fact that famed uh, international art thief Carmen Sandiego is now back? Was she a bad guy? She was a uh-huh. bad guy. The yeah, point was... trying to find her all the time. The point of Carmen Sandiego was she was the bad guy yeah. and you were supposed to figure out yeah. where she was well, how, in the world. Who do you find now? Well, she... The point is that she's, like, under... She's secret... She's working for the evil organization Vile. Sorry, too much. Right? But... <laughs> yeah, this is horrible. <laughs> well, I... The show I, was I, terrible the first time around. No! The show will be terrible no. this time around. I love the game show. I liked yeah. it. I just think I it's weird. I liked it when I was little. I really I liked, liked it. it. I, I really just think that. it's weird that you can't, like... I guess the idea is you can't market the show around a bad guy if it's a kid's yeah, television show, right? It's got to be someone... Maybe like, she's trying to do the whole thing where people change now, and, you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's coming around. Um, so, yeah, we'll move on from that. Uh, the other one, I guess we won't talk about it. Did you see that Anthony Michael Hall, or Michael C. Hall is starring in a Skittles musical? You can pay up to $500 to go see it on Broadway. It's all an elaborate Super Bowl advertisement, no. but it's a real play that you can go watch. Okay. Super weird. Oh. <laughs> uh, and then let's uh, let's close up with this one. Uh, I read this story this week and I just couldn't help but laugh. Indian officials. Uh, this is from uh, this is from the Telegraph. This is from uh, India. Indian officials have been criticized by environmentalists for re- relocating almost 500 crocodiles uh, from the foot of the world's tallest statue to allow seaplanes to bring tourists to the new site. There is a statue, the Statue of Unity in India, and they basically. Picked up crocodiles and put them in cages and brought them to the base of the statue to keep people away from the base of the statue. It's it's amazing. I can't think of like there was no other like plan besides just better crocodiles. That's the only way we can keep. (laughs) Not an electric fence, security guard. I just love that they went all the way to a thousand on this. Crocodiles are like, what is going on? Wild story of the week. Uh, and then I just want to mention one last one before we close up. Uh, Kev, we've, we're huge Soprano fans here. We've talked about it. We're watching it. Heather, did you watch Sopranos at all? We no. Talk- uh, so they're making a prequel to Sopranos. Ooh. And I've been kind of gun-shy about it for the whole time because I'm like, how do you... It's I don't know. I'm not super excited about it. Why? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm concerned with what well, they're going to... I just don't know. I, I like they're not going to delete the old episodes. I know. I know. I just didn't know what to expect for it. Is uh, a movie? It is a movie. Anyway? Yeah, yeah, it's a prequel movie. Yeah. Uh, but they've been doing some excellent casting. A lot of people I like. And I just found out 
that they actually signed James Gandolfini's son to play young Tony Soprano, which I think is pretty wild. Nice. I didn't even know his son was like an actor. Apparently he is an actor, though. It's not just like some nepotism thing. He's like a good actor. Although I feel like it's kind of unfair to anyone else who auditioned for that role, because how do you not, like... How do you not bring on the kid's son, right? Well, if he looks the most (laughs) like him, it's not unfair. That's a picture of him. What do you think? Looks like him? Not really. He doesn't really look like him, honestly. I've never seen, but I've never seen Gandolfini with hair in his head, so I don't don't know what to say about it. That's a great point. Uh, So that's it. Uh, Thank you guys for joining us this week. Heather, I'm so happy you're back. It's so nice to see you. I'm so excited. Uh, Kevin, Royal Rumble tonight. Who's going to win? Which one? The Men's Royal Rumble. Uh, Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins. Drew McIntyre. All right. That's it, folks. Sign on. going to win the women's rumble? Charlotte Flair. you got to watch that Gillette ad again. I, <laughs> I do got to watch <laughs> the Gillette ad again. Uh, all right. Sign Humanoids. Keep it tight. Uh, Woodstock lives. Follow Heather, uh, Heather Waz1, Kevin, and uh, underscore Kevin Sullivan. Follow Sam SF2 or just the show at Unicast. Facebook, SoundCloud, Instagram, Stitcher, Android, Apple, iTunes. We'll take it over the web. We will see you next week, humanoids. Have a great one. Peace.